I'm Drew. And I'm the Ayatollah Rock and Roller. This rock and Roller. <laughs> this episode and every feature episode is dedicated to the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. If you like horror anthologies, then this episode is for you. Today we're talking about a little gem of a film called The Mortuary Collection that is now streaming on Shudder and starring legendary actor Clancy Brown. We have the director Ryan Spindell here today and he's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview. Plus, we're smoking some good shit as usual and a John Carpenter classic turns 42 years old. Damn. All that and more today on High Hi on, on Horror. Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. Now it's time for Strain Wreck, the segment of our show where John and I discuss which strain we're getting wrecked on in each episode. And like in the previous weeks, John and I both are bringing that fucking gas. What do you got today, brother? Got me a bong of that chocolope. Chocolope. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's uh, 25.67% THC. And uh, it's also known as D-Line. It's a popular sativa. And uh, this is from company Seed and Strain. And uh, it's made by crossing chocolate tie and cantaloupe haze. And the result is a delicious homage to the chocolate strains that were popular in the 80s. So it's another throwback this week. Uh, chocolate's hefty nice. buds give an earthy, sweet coffee flavor that provide a dreamy cerebral effect. Consumers report a strong, euphoric mental shift that's great when coping with depression or stress. Damn, that sounds epic. I mean, I uh, actually, bag I, I've, for you. I've never had uh, chocolate a chocolate strain so to speak so this Me is either. actually I, yeah i saw i saw it on the list i was like oh i gotta get this oh, and yeah. then so, i saw so it's 25 percent is yeah. this the first time you've had this or have you had this uh before? i've sampled uh, well oh, it's sample. the first time i've bought this but uh i've already sampled from the okay. bag i was yeah, I, I was a fan and you saw you saw i didn't even oh, need a grinder good. for that like it was just real powdery it smells so good it's it's got it's, it's funny because it definitely has like a i definitely get like a lemon it has like a lemon like a like a lemon grassy grassy it's it's pleasant it's definitely a present pleasant smell that's for sure and i actually have this uh i know nothing about it i don't like i don't have <coughs> stats on it like you do but i got some of this lemon pepper and this shit is pretty strong as well um like lemon pepper wings i can't well yeah those are delicious i can't uh i, I can't break down the statistics like you do i'd have to look that shit up but uh yeah like this is gonna get us fucked up too check that out i'm gonna hit this chocolate here we go is, uh, did you get this somewhere different than you normally go? <sighs> that chocolate is nice. Because um, it don't look like the normal bags. No, it's not. It's, uh, yeah, actually, I went to an alternate source this time. All right. Um, just for the sake of, uh, needing something more now instead of being, you know, waiting for something. Oh, to... wow. That, that definitely smells lemony. I needed an, an immediate kind of fix. So, yeah, I had to go to an alternate source. Wow. But... That smells really good. And uh, the logo is actually the uh, on the bag. It's the Miami Heat logo. You would know that, not me. <laughs> but instead of a basketball, it's a lemon on fire. It's pretty nice. Well, look, so while we're here, though, while we're smoking here, it's your turn on the bong. Um, while we're here, wanted to bring up a couple things to you. One, uh, did you see how Monster Mania is throwing a Dexter convention? I have not. No? Are you kidding me? No. Dude, they got Michael C. Hall. First convention he has ever been at in his entire oh, career. They got him. They got Jennifer Carpenter. They got John's dying over uh, here. Always. We got they got uh, James Remar. 
uh, Batista, the guy that played Masuka, uh, Quinn. What about Dave Batista? <laughs> it's uh, no, like they have a whole convention, like a whole like I'm sorry, a whole reunion going on for this convention. <laughs> and I'm like, the tickets. As soon as Michael C. Hall was announced, that shit sold out. Like it's like there's I don't even think there's like day passes available now. And uh, I was Jeez. just like, my God, like that's what a, what an amazing thing. You didn't even hear about that. I thought for sure no. you'd been on that. No, I've heard about. I've been seeing all these other Monster Mania announcements. Is this the one for Hunt Valley? No, this is for March. This is like next month. Well, Cherry it, Hill. It's Cherry a Cherry Hill, Hill one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see that. I don't know. I keep seeing all the stuff actually, I think for PA Harcon. Yeah, that stuff's coming out too. They, I don't know. I That's a little too far away for me. I think they kind of, I think these, these East Coast cons try to compete with each other. They, they have the announcements coming out like on the same days or a day after. And it's and they start the announcements on like the same week. It's like, I feel like. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with competing, but I mean, you know, it's just it's like like I guess that's what happens when you have all these pages constantly trying to compete. You get lost in the shuffle and don't see certain things. Like, yeah, I thought for sure you would have seen that. A fucking Michael no, C. I would I would have messaged you about that. Michael C. Hall. I was like, as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, I want to go. And then something was posted. and They're like, no, nah, we're sold out. Dude, here's a question for you about that. Do you think his line would is going to be longer than Bruce Campbell's? Yeah, because it's his first convention ever. And the, the the new blood, Dexter, the new blood, the new season just came out. The new finale, True. the new finale just came out, and like a lot of people are happy with that. I was super happy with that. I still gotta watch it. And uh, yeah, I think like the hype for Dexter kind of came back on top of the fact that it's like a first time thing. I mean, the the convention was doing fine, and it's as soon as he was announced, they were like, "Yep, tickets are selling out. Time to get them before they're gone." So it's definitely like I guarantee you. If you don't have a VIP line, there's a good chance you're not going to meet Oh, man, him. even if you have the v- VIP line, it's going to be a hell of a wait. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, okay, well, another topic, though, real quick. Uh, this is a film series that I think you and I were kind of off and on about. I don't remember. We never watched them together. I know I'm a fan. Uh, how do you feel about there being a new Final Destination film being released on HBO Max uh, later this year? I saw something about and it's, that. Uh, it's actually produced by John Watts, the uh, Spider-Man No Way Home director. Okay, um, so it's produced by him. It's going to be on HBO Max, and it's the sixth film. So I don't, I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Let's make a prediction right here, right now, John. Let's make a prediction. It's going to be called Final Destination, and <laughs> oh. it's going to be a requel. Is it going to be a straight follow up to the original? Well, they're saying it's Final Destination six. I highly doubt there's going to be a six on the end of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be Final Destination or the Final Destination, which was the title of the fourth one, and that was the uh, the fucking worst one. I I watched the first one, and it was kind of like the Scream series for me, but I will say overall the Scream series is much better. But, like, towards the end, it just started getting ridiculous. I still remember the one... I mean, it's cool. It's a cool-looking kill, but it's just so ridiculous, is the gymnastics one. That scene is awesome. I love that scene. It's so she stupid, She folds like a though. fucking chair. Man. I know, but it's so ridiculous. <laughs> I, w- I remember, oh uh, yeah, that was one of the ones I got to see before it came out in theaters at uh, the uh, movie theater. We watched preview, it. Yeah. And I s- remember I sit next to Cole and I just went, what the fuck? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess once you get to five, you're going to start finding some questionable things. I like the fifth one, but uh, I-, I thought one and two were amazing. Two yeah, still my I, favorite I, one. I, I, as dumb as a concept as it would seem on paper to make a second one of that, it uh, the, the the second one was good, and I think it has maybe the most memorable scene of the whole series. The, Everybody the, knows the fucking log. I'll scene. say the traffic scene. Yep, everybody the, the traffic knows scene. that. 
that scene just took over. Like you said, that's the how many memes is there of that? I don't think I've seen a I single. There's only one other Final Destination destination meme off the top of my head that I can think of, and that's the one where it's like somebody. It's like it's just some random person, I believe. I don't. Yeah, some random dude or, or woman, and they're like peeking out over their like balcony and there's like icicles above their head and it's like oh this is a final destination movie waiting to happen it's like besides that it's always log it's always a truck with like the logs on the back and it's like i've seen this before or i'm not driving behind this or something like that so really even the plane scene doesn't you don't really see that one pop that's what i'm saying yeah and but uh it's funny though because i agree the traffic scene is is probably my favorite scene in the entire series like no doubt but uh the uh, the scene at the end that the the little skeevy cokehead gets <laughs> when the uh when like they're on the the car explodes during that one scene and the barbed wire fence like goes through him and cuts him into like three slices it looks like sliced bologna <laughs> yeah, like you know <laughs> yeah that scene's pretty bad as there's a lot of deaths in that movie that were just the deaths were in general like the the airbag and like yeah. the head goes through the PVC pipe like that like yeah the deaths in that movie were let me put it this way that might not be a good movie but it is a fucking fun movie yeah I. <sighs> the kills are good but they're just borderline ridiculous they're so crazy that they're awesome but if you put too much thought into them you're gonna be like uh don't think too much into it just enjoy it that's the lesson and uh speaking of other movies we were just talking about this the rumor of saw 10 oh god like i was saying i i saw the first seven in theaters like now now it's the i mean it's still a rumor at this point nothing's been announced uh but uh it was going to take place like before saw three and it's supposed to be from john kramer's perspective i feel like we've thoroughly examined john kramer's perspective on things like i guess yeah i i'm i'm so burned out man it's like it's it's like it's like just finish what you were saying before i shit on it (laughs) like i mean i i like the saw series probably more than most people even some of the later ones i like most people were done by two and then there was a lot of people which i think was probably should have been the proper ending point was part three yeah i feel like that really kind of uh tied everything together but i even like some of the ones i love the hoffman character later on detective hoffman but like jigsaw was so awful i didn't even watch like spiral like i didn't even watch spiral either i have i have no interest i honestly jigsaw, got him, like, I have no oh my interest. god jigsaw single-handedly ruined john kramer yeah he made he felt that the guy shouldn't be in the trap so he rescued him like what the fuck it, is that well it's like it's like yeah that, that was my thing was with the whole with this saw thing it's like oh we've done ended the series after like eight movies so, you know, let's come out with a ninth and do Spiral. Let's do Spiral. Let's do the re- let's go the requel route now that the series is dead instead of letting it the fuck go. Let's just bring it right back even though what was what was it? Dude, a one or two year break? What was it? Maybe 3 before they came back with another Saw after it was supposedly well, over. You know, and I they- think Spiral was sitting for a while before it came out, right? Well, I don't know, but it's just it, it's the spiral comes out and it's it's a, it's the requel tra- technique where it's like we're not going to call it, you know, we're going to call it something else as if it's a as if it's its own movie, but it's a tie-in and uh it's it's kind of like it, it, well, I guess requel's not the proper word, but it is more of a tie-in, but my point is that they tried to go, "Hey, the series is dead, let's move on and do a, a spin-off." That fails. 
So then they're going back and they go, hey, you know, we'll do a saw 10, but saw 10 is actually going to be saw two and a half, where like in between two and three, we're going to find John. Like, why do we need to know that story? At what point is it just enough enough? Like, they're literally trying to find any fucking little hole where they can squeeze a story into just, it's just, it's done. It's done. I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. I, I, Look, I love horror, but I'm going to be straight. I hope this movie just dies at the box office. I really do. So, you were saying you thought it was a couple of years after they did? I said one, two, maybe three. From Spiral to... to no, na- no, from uh, Saw 8 to Spiral. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, Spiral came out this year. Came out, <laughs> right. well, I'm sorry, last, last year, year, in May. Right. But, but it came out like VOD and uh, digital and stuff, I think, earlier this but it was I think it was late last Jigsaw year. Jigsaw was in 2017. So they waited four years. Okay, four years. But Jigsaw was god-awful. I had, it's, <laughs> here you go, I get to make a I get to make a brief reference to it. It was almost like Rob Zombie's Halloween to me. I knew it was going to be god-awful going in. Nicole and I went to go see it. I was like, I'm not going to like this movie. And I hated it even worse. Like, <laughs> like, I went in with low expectations, and they went, like, even lower. Like, I agree. Like I said, again... Jigsaw, the guy who does his homework, studies your life, finds out why you should be in this kind of trap, puts a guy into a trap with other people and then pulls him out because all of a sudden he felt like he shouldn't have been there. Like, what the fuck? That's yeah, not man. the Jigsaw it's, character. No, it's not. And it's just, uh, yeah, I just, I have, I have, I have, look, I, there's nothing left to be desired for me from that series. I'll be like, I got my, I got, I wish it is my true soul belief. Hopefully not Soul. I'm sure there's other people out there. Hopefully some of you listeners agree with me. I think Soul should have been done at one. I think it was a one and done. That People would still be talking about that movie today, wishing it had gotten a sequel. Can you imagine? Man, Saw, that fucking ending, man. Nobody saw that shit coming. That was the that was the air when the first one came out. And now when you find out there's another one, it's literally just dread. Dude, like, the, like, I remember. It's, it's like we need to go back to that. Like I just wish that if we could erase everything, we would just say just leave it at one. It was a good story. You don't need to know his fucking motive. You don't need to know. The twist was insane. It was a good story. There was good gore. There was good traps. Like, there was no reason to go beyond that. And then, if you want to, for the sake of milking a franchise, I get that. But, I mean, it's beyond milking. Like, there's no there's no milk <laughs> left in the tit. They're just, they're, just, they're just milking dust at this point. Like, let it go. Dude, that first one, I actually saw it in high school, uh, skipping school, with... Uh, Josh and Kenny were actually both there. Dude, I just remember when he sat up, like, my mouth just dropped. Like, what the I know. Fuck? Me too. Me too. I thought, him? It's him? You know, like, that was my thought. Um, All right, hold on. Real quick. Real quick. I have one more thing I want to bring up, though. One more thing. Uh, Did you see the new uh, Halloween Ends uh, on set photos of Jamie Lee Curtis? Uh, I've seen something. I posted that picture on Instagram of her, like, aged even more. It's, like, making fun of the whole uh, yeah, evil yeah. tonight. But there's images that released of her, and, I mean, it's just her. Her hair's kind of straight. She's wearing normal clothing. She's not, like, battle damage. It's not giving anything away. It's just, I don't know what the scene is they're filming, but she looks pretty good, man. I mean, I thought they, I thought they had said they had filmed it back-to-back. Like That's what I heard the plan was, and then next thing I know, like, I think that COVID broke that up. I think that's what, I think COVID happened, and that's when they were like, no, we got to do it. It's two separate movies. I just, I don't know what, as we said before, I don't know where the ending's going. I don't know how you end it, but I just hope they find a good way to land it. I agree, and I, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm scared, because it's the third film in a trilogy, and like eight out of ten times, this don't go too well, and 
although we liked it, a lot of people didn't like Halloween Kills. So I'm like, there's a, there's a little bit of faith left in the tank. I really hope that it's rewarded. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they've made some questionable decisions in some of the movies. I still think the funniest to me, though, in Halloween Kills is how you just have a morgue in the middle of a fucking hallway. People just walk by and see dead bodies. Just <laughs> the, the thing that always gets me is how the, uh, the, um, the female nurse, uh, how she gets killed. I like Michael just opens a car door and hits her and hits her hand and she just shoots herself in the face. Like it just like, that was one of those like, damn, they really just threw that character away and just made her a dumbass. But it's also funny. Cause like some people got mad at some of the cheesy lines, but I loved it. Like, sheriff bracket when he's like yeah people hated that people hate that this movie is so stupid i think our buddy ian from 616 was not a fan of it said it was ridiculous but i i mean it's ridiculous but i was i was excited and when she was like this is for dr loomis but they did fuck her hard on that one yeah absolutely (laughs) um all right well look we're baked and we're rambling so uh let's get on with it what do we got going on this week in horror history this week in horror history. All right, so uh, this week we have turning ten years old, the woman in black from twenty twelve. Yeah, that's a good creepy movie. It's got a nice uh, creepy atmosphere. It's a good ghost story. Harry Potter does a good job. <laughs> it's a, it's a good time. Uh, the Fly Two turns thirty three years old, released in nineteen eighty nine. Look, that's far from the Cronenberg film, uh, but it's it's still good. It's solid. Yeah, I know. I never gave it a watch. Uh, we we were just talking about that before we started this, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you say it's good, I'll have to give it a watch sometime. Yeah, we'll have to watch it. We'll get baked and watch it. Uh, from nineteen eighty two, turning forty years old, the Beast Within. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that one. That's a big. That's a popular movie, but it never did it for me. And one year before that, nineteen eighty one, turning forty one, my bloody Valentine. Uh, this actually um was recently i just read that this is tarantino's favorite slasher film um, it's okay to me i'm not i know there's some hardcore fans of it but i guess i guess it's probably like me with black christmas i there's some people that's just not for them well, my, i mean my I, bloody valentine i think it's okay but to me it's nothing special i know a lot of people will be mad about that <laughs> yeah it's my second favorite slasher film after halloween it's uh oh well it's it's it's, it's to me it's you know a uh, great slasher iconic killer with an icon on an iconic holiday uh it's a season that you know there really hasn't been there hasn't really been any good valentine's horror movies i mean i thought valentine sucked well, i don't um, think too many people are usually thinking murder on valentine's day they maybe should. maybe al 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 capone but man sex and murder go together like chocolate <laughs> and peanut butter man i wouldn't know from experience i'm just <laughs> okay. going i'm just going off of the movies i watch anyway now i sound like the fucking killers from scream anyway an ingenious slasher it's an ingenious slasher film with fantastic kills um you have to watch the unrated version though because the rated version cut out all the good shit you know but it hits the spot um i watch it every 14th of february just like i do halloween on the 31st of october every year and uh the two main ones for this week one year before my bloody valentine cannibal holocaust I'm, it's a little moving i don't think anybody's heard about that or any no. kind of controversies <laughs> and uh, also the same year john carpenter's the fog well cannibal holocaust i mean rogero diodato you know he hit hard with this one man that was that's the first real found footage film it's a heavy heavy fucking movie still hard to watch still hard to watch but it's a good movie um 
Yeah, the animal killings still bother me. You know, it's not that I'm like, you know, look, I, they still bother. I just don't like watching real death, no matter what it is. Um, real death in general, just, you know, I don't like that. I don't like watching things being scared for their life for real. I like my movies to be like fantasy, but um, the the, death, the animal deaths don't do anything for me, but I still really like the movie. How old were you when you first saw this? I was, I guess, 19, 20, somewhere around there. I remember uh, Kenny and I watched together. I found it free on Google. Oh, and I, I told him about, you know, I'd never, well, obviously, uh, I'd never seen it. Kenny hadn't seen it. And then we said, no, you want to watch it? And, yeah, that shit was pretty rough. And then it was, at least I didn't know that the animal killings weren't real going in. I remember thinking, oh, that looks pretty realistic. And then when I read about the facts after the movie, I was like, oh, I'm glad I didn't know that going in. I'm not going to go into visceral detail, but the... Uh... Turtle? Yeah, man. Yeah, oh, how did you one. fucking know? <laughs> oh, dude. I remember Kenny and I were just sitting there like, oh, my God. Yeah, that one that was, was fucking uh, rough. That was one of the first movies I ever saw that really made me feel, like, dirty afterwards. My first thought was, like, they really got away with that? You know what I mean? Like, and then I read about it and everything. And I kind of learned more about it and everything. And, but, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I knew about the controversy going into it. And that was kind of me and my personalities would drew me into it. Yeah. I think that I was, uh, honestly, I don't remember how old I was when I first watched it. I don't remember. I was definitely in my teens. Um, and to be honest with you, I was actually disappointed. I kind of, it kind of black Christmas me where I, uh, where I watched it the first time and there was so much build up to it. And then like all I remember taking away from it was just feeling so like disgusting. And like, all I could think about was the animal deaths and uh, you know, like it <laughs> fucked with me. And then like a few years later I watched it again with my wife and sister. And I was like, you know what? If I can like, if I can get over the animal killings, it's not a bad movie. It's that it's, it's a fucking twisted movie, dude. You got dick mutilation. Yeah. And, but I'm telling you the turtle scene, when you, whenever you mention cannibal Holocaust, the first thing that pops in my mind is that turtle scene. Like I know nothing it's, else. Maybe not even the titty, uh, the titty, uh, spike, the titty spikes. Yeah. yeah. Not even those. Like, yeah, that, 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 that falls behind it. But whenever somebody mentions that movie and I saw it on the list, first thing that popped in is that turtle scene, man, that shit is rough. I agree. Yeah. That, it, At it, least they ate it. So th that makes it a little better. I mean, as long as you're not against, you know, eating animals, which, you know, I mean, to, to each their own, I don't really give a shit what you believe in or what you eat. I don't care. That Have you had me. turtle soup? I would never eat turtle soup. No, I don't. I don't eat weird shit like that. I would never eat alligator or turtle or I don't do. I tried it. I think it might have been. It's the Polish festival in Delaware. Just give me some chicken noodle soup. I, I tried it. And I was like, this looks disgusting. Yeah, it's. I don't know. Probably, probably what swamp water tastes like. Uh, I can't imagine the consistency of turtle meat. That just sounds fucking like. I feel, I imagine it being like slimy. Yeah, like Shredder from TMNT. Like I don't know what would he got out of turtle soup. <laughs> Yeah, man, this is a good movie, though. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, they, the thing is, they released it on, the, yeah, let me ask you this real quick before we move on to the fog. Um, so I have the, uh, the Blu-ray, I have, like, a really nice edition of the Blu-ray, and there's two versions. You can actually watch the animal cruelty-free version of the film, or you can watch the actual original film. And I don't mean to, like, you know, look, if you can't take it, you can't take it. I'm not going to call anybody a pussy. But I feel like if you're going to watch the movie, watch the fucking movie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I, like I just go, just, just wait for it to come on TV if you need an edited version of it. Yeah, like, as much as I don't want to see those animal scenes, I feel like I wouldn't be watching the full movie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, enough of this. Get over to the fog. I, uh, 
actually, as much as I like Carpenter, I saw the remake first. Ugh. See, now I like the remake because I hadn't seen the you original. Realize you realize now you didn't know how derivative it was of its predecessor, right? Yeah. I just knew it was a Carpenter movie, but I hadn't seen it. And then a couple years later, I saw Carpenter's Fog, and I'm like, oh, this is why everybody hates this movie. Dude, I don't even... Was it was a... Uh... Was was fucking Clark Kent from Smallville? Was he Adrian Barbeau's character, or was he Tom Atkins' replacement? I don't even fucking remember at this point. But either way, he can't he, he can't replace either of those. It's just Adrian Barbeau, Tom Atkins. Like, come on! Like, right away, the casting was just gonna, you're, you're kind of doomed from the casting. It's rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The remake is yeah. a four percent. Joe, that's <laughs> that's rough. That's low. And I mean, Selma. Blair was Adrian Barbo's right that's okay yeah yeah so he was yeah how the fuck is Tom Atkins replaced with Clark Kent from Smallville come <laughs> on no Tom fucking Atkins Tom Atkins fucks don't forget that <laughs> I don't think anybody can forget it well here's a knowledge dog for you all out there uh John Carpenter and his crew used real fog back then obviously since they didn't have CGI and uh, they would ha- they would have like hundreds of fans set up all around that would take hours to set up, and they would have them all all these fans set up blowing in different directions, in order to make the fog blow the way they wanted it to. How it would go down like the pathway of the lighthouse and like the little paths that the fog would would, would you know how the caves was, or um what's the how much what am I trying to say I'm so baked right now how like the, the fog just kind of drifts down the hills and stuff like that in like a pattern and it, it almost seems like it has like a a motivation behind it that's all fans blowing it that way like that's really crazy like you think now and even in the remake I'm sure it's it's all CGI and you're like back then they didn't have that option this these people did that shit for real that fog is not fake that is real fog from a fog machine being blown by fans to look like it's like coming at you and doing weird things it's, it's it's just amazing work by carpenter man i mean um you know it's just and it's, it's one of carpenter's best and it's all around a fantastic ghost story um and jamie lee curtis you know another addition to that great cast uh it's creepy and to the point and there's not many uh good like scary pirate movies that i can think of and this is definitely like the one yeah and i mean also we didn't even mention about uh jamie lee curtis and uh um her mom janet lee being in it oh I, that's right janet how, lee is how, in how it, right? Holbrook. but uh yeah i like that and uh, obviously anything with tom atkins is awesome but uh yeah it didn't really do well which is the story of a lot of carpenter movies when it first came out but uh now i think it has like a 75 on rotten tomatoes and also like pretty much all carpenter movies uh they're Looking back on the, the same reviewers that hated it when it came out, love it now, because, I don't know, Carpenter just always seemed to uh, release movies like 20 years before he should have. Yeah. Well, the, th- the important thing is is that he actually lives long enough, is still alive, obviously, but I mean, he <laughs> lived long enough, he has lived long enough to see like it come full circle. It's not some Edgar Allan Poe shit where like he blew up and like became popular after he died. Carpenter like actually lived long enough to see like his fame like increase that's amazing like he's more popular now than he was when he was actually like an active filmmaker so i mean that's amazing to be like damn like now i get to sit back and retire he's just living a fucking life man royalties and yeah royalties and he's getting involved in comic books and he's producing shit you know like i mean the dude's living like his all that shit paid off he was getting criticized you know and now he's it's paying off one of the biggest icons in the genre he's our favorite director he's fucking the best ever in my opinion 
I would agree with that. But uh, I mean, even even if you don't agree with us and think he's the greatest, he's got to be in your top five. Yeah, I mean, at, uh, at worst, even if you're not even counting horror, I just mean in general, in general, absolutely in like the top five. Uh, for me, it's like him and James Cameron and Quentin Tarantino, Kubrick, and Kubrick, and Christopher Nolan. Like those are all like you know. I'd have to think a little harder on some more, but you know, those are right off the top of my head. Those are the ones that come to mind. <clears throat> All right, well, um, if you're if you're done, we can uh, move on to Puff Puff Ask. Sounds good to me. Cool. Now it's time for Puff Puff Ask, the segment of our show where we answer questions that you, the listeners, write into us on social media at highonhorror420 or email at highonhorror420 at gmail.com or on the official High on Horror website, highonhorror.com. This week, John and I are actually taking a break from email messages. This was actually John's genius idea. We've been neglecting these Instagram messages. Uh, we apologize for that. So we plucked two messages from Instagram this week. Is, is yours from Instagram or Facebook? Instagram. Okay, yeah, mine too. Okay, I'll go first. Okay, uh, so listener Otis asks... You know, I'm sorry you lost the money in the bank, bro. <laughs> I was thinking Otis Driftwood. Uh, that's actually what his username is because, like, the Devil's Rejects. But, yeah, there's your WWE reference. Uh, he asks, um, what horror film did you guys want to get made but didn't happen? And, like, this... I When I read this question, I thought about it for, like, a good ten minutes. It was, there was a lot that came to my mind. And there's a lot of things, like, there's a lot of things that I just had to break down. Like, dude, what needed a sequel? What didn't need a sequel? What do I wish could have happened? And it was, like, a real breakdown. If I had to narrow it down to one, and I guess I, my final answer, the movie that I feel like I'm missing that never happened, that I really just was, like, really riding on hoping it would happen, and the more it doesn't happen, the more I'm, like, just, like, yeah, it's never happening, uh, is Strangeland 2, the follow-up to D. Snyder's horror film that was a precursor okay. to the torture porn subgenre. Yeah, I really wanted a sequel to that. I wanted to see him back as Captain Howdy, but it, yeah, at this point, it's all been talk, and it's all going to be talk, I think. What do you got? Uh, I'm just going to name a couple. Peter Jackson's Nightmare on Elm Street 6, mm. when he had that uh, that one penned. I would have been interested to see Peter Jackson's take on... Uh, on Freddy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I wanted to see another one of from the Friday the 13th reboot. Like a sequel? Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. Yeah, I agree with that. I was disappointed they never followed that up. Here's one I saw that I did not know was one, but when you think about it and how ridiculous it is, you could probably understand why it didn't go far. Monster Squad versus Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> what? what the fuck is the Monster Squad going to do against Godzilla? That was a real, like, what? Apparently it barely made it into pre-production. Somebody was probably like, that sounds good. And then, like, we're like, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah, like, that. Like somebody was tripping balls. Like, who the f that was? I wonder if, Fred, if that was Fred Decker's idea. I don't know. That's wild, man. Like, I can't even imagine. <laughs> Cause what what are they gonna do? What are they gonna do? Like they wouldn't even. Oh, like, oh wow, that's that's ridiculous. That I want to see that. I feel like it, I feel like it could be a short film. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I definitely agree with that. But uh, was there there was the rumored um, Halloween versus Hellraiser? Oh, uh, what was that? A uh, Halloween? 
Yeah, yeah that would have been cool. That would have been cool. I think it was a uh, Clive Barker was supposed to direct, and John Carpenter was going to write it. That would have been amazing. I think Carpenter probably would have done the music too. Oh yeah, man, that would have been good. As you notice, most of my cancel ones are like slasher movies. <laughs> of course, but that's fine. I'm with you. And then was it was it going to be Freddy versus Jason versus Ash? Was a rumored one. Even yeah, even I would have taken a Freddy versus Jason too. Shit, you know. Here's but I know the real one you wanted. The real one you really wanted, bro. Let's get down. Yeah, to the, I know. I know. You know. Exactly what I know. Right, because it's the truth, and you know that I know what's in your heart, bro. Uh, you want that Rob Zombie Halloween 3D. You wanted that shit to happen. I know you fucking uh, still yeah. want it to happen, bro. Come on. I just saw that you pitched in on his fucking Indiegogo. <laughs> pitched in. You pitched it on his Indiegogo for his latest whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, that was me. Uh, one I would have liked to have also seen a sequel of. Uh, would have been behind the mask, dude. They were trying to do before the mask, and that would yeah that they uh, that actually un- unfortunately that got a Kickstarter and it just did not reach its budget. So I I don't think that's, that's gonna happen. That's, that's so fucking unfortunate, man. I agree with that. Was that was such a good movie. Uh, and then uh, getting into our second question here uh, from Anthony, what's your favorite disembowelment scene? That's a good one. I like that. There's a, as again, I'm going to pick a couple. Uh, definitely, I feel like an easy choice is uh, Day of the Dead. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Where Rhodes just gets his fucking guts ripped out, yeah. Uh, uh, what was it? Last House on the Left. Yeah. Which he's just like digging through. Sausage guts. Sausage guts. <laughs> uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, and another solid one is The Wizard of Gore. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. I could totally... Uh, that That's a good one. I would have to say that my choices would be Hannibal. I don't, I'm don't. i not a fan of the Hannibal film, uh, the Anthony Hopkins film. I'm not a fan of uh, the solo Hannibal. I'm not a fan of any of the movies outside of uh, Red Dragon, Manhunter, and Silence of the Lambs. But Hannibal... Uh, the disembowelment scene in that movie where he like disembowels the dude for in the museum and like he's like mm-hmm. on a like a like a little dolly thing and like kicks him like throws him out of the window and he's like hanging like it's it's brutal that and uh, the red man's uh, gutting in a uh, seat of Chucky the way like the intestines fall to the floor and they're like steaming yeah. hot yeah that has to be that 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 always stood out to me that the way that the intestines were <sighs> steaming so See, that's, I don't that's think pretty of it gross I tried not to think about seat of Chucky. It's the worst. Again, that's the funny thing about it. Hannibal and Seed of Chucky, I'm not fans of, but they both have good disembowelment scenes. Yeah, I mean, you could have good scenes and the movie still not be good. Very true. At least it has something going for it. Hey, what's the carnal sin? Joe Bob's carnal sin and what we believe in? The worst sin, the worst crime a film can make is being boring. So even if these movies suck, at least they got something going on in them that doesn't make them boring. I think that'll about wrap it up for Puff Puff Ask. And don't forget to write your questions into us at highonhorror420 at gmail.com. Uh, you can contact us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at highonhorror420. And uh, you can also submit them through our website, highonhorror.com. Now let's get into the mortuary collection. Mortuary Collection was released in 2019, and it's really an anthology story. I mean, something like along the lines of a creep show, Tales from the Hood. 
Uh, the rap story is uh, just an eccentric mortician, and he's recounting several macabre stories he's encountered throughout his career. And I I like all the shorts in it, and it is interesting because usually you don't have an anthology where all the short stories are from the director and writer. In this case, Ryan Ryan Spindell. Uh, maybe may, maybe we'll just go in order with the stories. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. But you actually just said something that's true, and I honestly it didn't even really dawn on me until just now. But like in almost every anthology film, there's a story or a segment that like you're always kind of like, eh, I didn't really care for that one. And I'm like, they're all strong in this one, and like you said, and they're all written and directed by the same person. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, that's crazy. And, like and they're, they're even all with solid. The anthology series, like when you have the rap story, it's also another different director. It's not one of the ones that did one of the shorts. Like, right working stuff around but i think it works better in this case because i feel like he can tie it together the way he wants it since he's you know in charge of all the stories right right well it's um you know uh, the mortuary collection is one of those movies that comes along and just hits you when you weren't expecting it you know like shutter gets you know a lot of movies and a lot of them honestly aren't that good so like you know sometimes you're like i don't know and you just give them a chance you're like holy shit this one this one's a winner you know and you know there's a surplus of anthologies out there now and they're not good you know and this one just you know this one gets you with that mystical and fairy tale uh, fairy tale-esque sort of you know feel and uh it's good acting, good stories, and it's an awesome movie, man. And Clancy Brown. Yeah, man. I was just gonna say, fucking Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown makes the makes it. He plays he plays the role of the mortician so well. Yeah, absolutely, Montgomery. Yeah, let's talk about the stories now. Uh, the first one is is not long at all. No, it's awesome though. <laughs> but, I mean, definitely Lovecraft inspired. Uh, it's just a woman in a bathroom, and there's a tentacle monster in her medicine cabinet. And the one thing that I think there is to take away from this, besides the love, the uh, Lovecraft uh, feel and vibes and love, is uh, I think that this one's just really beautiful to look at. It's really just pretty to look at. It's really well shot, and like the cinematography and the lighting and the coloring, it's it's really it's really well. It's just it's easy on the eyes. It's easy to watch. Yeah, and it's all pretty much in one room. Yeah, very easy. Very. It's dumb. only what maybe five minutes, something like that. Imagination, and you know that's all it takes. Yeah, and then uh, next up we had Unprotected. And uh, it's a bunch of fake, uh, I guess, fake socialist dudes that are trying to pretend they care about women's liberation, but at the same time trying to get these girls to take condoms so they can liberate themselves. But uh, the whole master plan is who, whoever takes the condoms, they know uh, they like to, quote, party. And, uh, yeah, there's a there's an interesting sex scene in this. And uh, I also like how there's no uh, a set of plan B. I don't know if you caught it. It says plan C, one pill is all you need. <laughs> yeah yeah it's great yeah man this uh yeah this one is uh it's very quirky unlike the unlike the first one um it this one actually has like a sense of humor to it it's uh very quirky the sex scene is funny the dialogue is funny the acting is funny the uh <laughs> the grand finale is funny <laughs> the dude's dick exploded <laughs> yes it did and i believe jacob we- uh who's it jacob l l lordy l I can't, I'm terrible at names, yeah, but, but do. he's real good at it. Uh, the whole thing is, uh, when he has sex with this girl, uh, he takes the condom off and she impregnates him. <laughs> and then he, he asked how the baby's going to get out. And the doctor says the same way he came in, uh, which that definitely made me tense up. And, uh, 
I, I yeah, it's not. rough. It's rough. Just knowing <laughs> what's going to happen. Dick exploded. But, <laughs> but it's one of those things where when you hear that, you go, yeah, but are we going to see it? You know what oh. I mean? It's like, you go, yeah, but are we going to see it? You know, what I mean? it's one of those. And it's like, yep, we see it. And it's, I believe it was a, what, shampoo, maybe shampoo or conditioner that they use. It's a lotion or something. But yeah, that's, that's what you get when you get to see, you get the big jizz shower, you know, oh. when the dick explodes, as you would put it. But um, no, actually, though, this, this, this story is a reflection, though, of, you know, like how, like, just men and it's just about like you know just just womanizing i guess like this the whole thing is that you know she writes her number on his mirror like you know to call her like you know and he wakes up and the first thing he does is just like wipe her number right off the mirror and it's like he didn't give a shit about her and it's like the only reason that he... was literally the first thing he did yeah it's like so that's kind of the whole thing is like if you had kept her number and like gave a shit like you would have maybe you know i don't know maybe, maybe dick, dick would have exploded <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah <laughs> maybe but maybe. uh so you know who knows but you know uh yeah it's just you know like he didn't have to it didn't have to possibly go down that way and he made some bad choices and that's kind of the thing is like while it sucks he does kind of get what he deserves but it does still hurt to see somebody's dick explode <laughs> oh dude like oh that made me tense up so much i don't know if i'd rather be him no i know i'd re- definitely rather be the people under him but i mean being under him holding him up in that chair when his dick explodes <laughs> is almost just as bad as being him like i wouldn't want to be uh, I'd be I, honest to God, I would have dropped him immediately. Like they held him, I would have. Nope, he'd have been done. He'd have fallen on his face. Uh, anyway, let's let's move on here. Says segment three till death, easily the most depressing story. Just not 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 depressing you as an audience, but just like it. It's very sad. It, it's it's a heavy story. Uh, it's about Wendell Owens. His wife's in a uh, catatonic state, and. One of his neighbors, she talks about when her husband died, how much traveling she did. And before, when she had to take care of him and stuff, she she wasn't able to do that. And you can tell Wendell starts thinking about it. The doctor comes by and tells him that his wife's fine. She's stabilized. And he asked how long, and you can just see how, how depressed he gets when he said that it could be a year or more. And he goes, oh, so she's getting better? And he goes, no, I wouldn't say that. She's just stabilized. Yeah, it's rough. And, uh, but the doctor, uh, does give him some pills that, uh, I guess, I guess you call them some Kevorkian pills. <laughs> Kevorkian pills? Yeah, you know, I mean, Dr. Kevorkian, he was the guy that did the Yeah, I, I know. I just, I, I never would have, uh, I never would have caught it that, but I, I guess you definitely have a point. Uh, but yeah, no. This one, uh, I was gonna. I'm gonna go back to the visuals. This one again, I think, uh, has just amazing visuals. Um, I think this one has the best visuals in the in the entire movie. Like you said, it's definitely heavy as hell to watch, but um, it's uh, it's 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 just beautiful to look at. It's depressing, but it's very very pretty to look at. But it also, I feel like, very much puts you into the, what would you do in this situation? I remembered like Nicole and I talking about this and like. He's like, it's a real tough situation to be in. Oh, yeah. But yeah, the- absolutely. It is, it's a real tough situation. That's the thing. You can sympathize with him, but at the same time, it doesn't make what he does right. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, you know, or he, I mean, not that he really meant to do it, you know what I mean? But just like the, the, the weight, the guilt that he's carrying, it makes you sympathize with him. And uh, 
it's 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 poetic it's beautiful this one this is this is like it reminded me it reminds me of guillermo del toro it's that guillermo del toro has a way of weaving in that like beautiful like almost poetry into these like dark and grim stories and that's kind of what it's it's a very like you said it's a heavy story yet it manages to kind of be like poetic and as i had said earlier after as i said earlier you know it's it's pretty to look at so it's kind of it's like a beautiful little tragic love story and uh he spoiler alert he gives her the pills and then that's <laughs> when she starts trying to communicate dude that arctic hair oh uh, when she just falls and it goes right through her eye oh yeah yeah, yeah. dude the first time i went uh and then when he picks her up and drops her back down again i i, I chuckled at that one a little bit <laughs> yeah, that, yeah 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 but Absolutely. uh yeah and then he decides he needs to get rid of her body and uh he has a fear that's been established earlier that uh of the elevator yeah yeah and then uh he ends up using the elevator and uh in the process in that elevator he goes he goes a little crazy yeah and the uh it, like yeah it's this this one's definitely solid yeah i feel like i feel like each one kind of was getting stronger yeah agreed agreed it was definitely building towards the uh the fourth segment which is arguably the best one the babysitter murders me and that's uh that's what i wrote down the most of and it was funny uh until until it gets revealed i mean the big there's a babysitter murderer loose but the uh the big twist is it's not who you think it is it's this guy in there and he's bleeding and uh the girl who's with uh our mortician uh sam's you think she's the babysitter but you come to find out she's actually the babysitter murderer and dude at first when she was like because they were saying oh you can help yourself to anything in the house before we also find out that she's a cannibal i remember telling nicole i was like man they told her that she could get anything from the fridge and i was like this bitch took out two steaks you're just gonna eat two steaks at these people's house i was like you ignorant as fuck like who, like who the fuck you think you are but well yeah just have anything you want well you got two steaks not even one but two yeah i'll take them both but then later you find out that she's a cannibal and was grinding people up yeah and uh this one is this one is solid and uh I keep saying that. I'm sorry. It's solid is just a very solid word to use for this movie because it's very strong. But this is a very yeah, this is a very strong story and uh, it, it's very it, Halloweenish. Yeah, it's it, again with the with the, this is one of those ones that definitely benefits from being a short story. Like I don't know how this would play out as a full movie on its own. Like I, I'm sure it would lose some steam along the way, which happens in slasher films a lot. The fact that this is the length that it is really just nails it. Like it hits you with a it's very suspenseful. You find out the twist, and like you know, as we said before we recorded, like that twist is just like holy shit! You do not see that coming, and then the ending just you know leads you right into our wraparound story, where she is you know in the mortuary with uh, Clancy Brown, aka Montgomery Dark, and they're you know he's showing her around the mortuary and showing her the uh, you know all of all all of his goods. Yeah, and uh, the other thing. I wanted to say about that is there was a description of the killer as six ten and chained. <laughs> I was like, that's a weird ass description. Six ten and chained. Okay. I I rewound it just to double check, and uh, the guy who you think is the babysitter murderer, she puts his hand in a meat grinder, and I gotta tell you, for man, he was hitting her with some punches for having some ground beef fingers. <laughs> 
<laughs> they had them Robert Downey Jr. fingers from uh, Tropic Thunder. Like she, I mean, he had to pull them shits out. Yeah, it was. Rough, See, my yeah. problem is, I I would fuck up because I'd be like, I don't know which way to roll this, and I probably roll my fingers in there more. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would just be really pissed off. I would. I would probably do the same thing. I'm. I'm. I'm a klutz. And then, yeah, Sam. So also, we found out that she's the uh, murderer. She's also uh, her name's the Tooth Fairy Killer, mm-hmm. and she takes teeth from all of the children's victim, all of her victims that are children. And then uh, you were saying it gets us back to the rap story here at the end. And uh, she stabs Montgomery in the stomach. And then uh, he bleeds in bombing fluid and just laughs at her. (laughs) Which I thought that was interesting. He has a Clancy Brown has that deep voice, man. It just is very imposing. And uh, that laugh, when he laughs, that evil laugh, it's just an automatic, oh, shit. (laughs) And uh, he tells her that he was never allowed to leave either. And that her story is just beginning. And then, uh, dude, the fucking charred babies, like charred children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the whole thing is that Sam is in the mortuary because she wanted to basically get the teeth from one of the children that is in the mortuary. And the thing is, Montgomery Dark is onto her, right? He knows the whole time what's going on. And he basically plucks all these books off of the shelves in this library and they open up to like all of the stories of the children that have been killed by Sam and they, they come out of the books and it's just possibly my favorite little scene in the whole movie. Just the, the animation it's so retro. It looks old school the way it's kind of like stop motion. You can even talk marionetting like puppeteering, but it looks so cool. Like it doesn't, that type of stuff always appeals to me. And I feel like it's done in a very good way. It's very visually, it's visually nice to look at again. I'll say that. And, uh, the, the 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 children just looked cool the design of them like they they were creepy yeah. but they were cool you know what i mean it, had like a, it was stylized it wasn't like just like totally realistic it was creepy skeleton it was like stylized it had a little bit of fun to it yeah i really enjoyed the design on the charred children but uh they they tear charlotte apart and then uh montgomery's uh sews the body back together and uh replaces her blood with embalming fluid and uh then we see him i kept wondering i was like why is this why does this end? Uh, it felt like it was dragging on. And then I was like, Oh, he goes across the street and just poofs. Yeah. He wants to do, he finally gets a taste of what's on the other side. What, what, what's my life now? And it's like, you don't have one. That was it. Like that was your sentence. And now you're dead. And now, uh, D E D dead. <laughs> D it. And now, uh, she's, uh, the new, uh, mortician at Raven's end. Yeah, and uh, the, the the final scene is she's talking to the uh, a child, I believe it's a newspaper boy, and um, basically giving you the inclination that you know he's possibly next here next meal. Yeah, basically. Yeah. All right. So, uh, all right. So before we get into burn and learn, let's rate this thing, man. Um, I I'm you know like it, it, the funny thing is. I feel like every movie that we rate, we've given a high rating, but I don't feel like we've reviewed bad movies. I feel like we've Jump kind scream. of because we've been yeah. <laughs> well, that <laughs> wasn't bad, but. right? Yeah, a scream. Yeah, scream twenty twenty two was uh, was not it was not a high rated one for us. But besides that, we give all these movies good ratings but that's because we're talking about movies that we like we're like we're not picking movies that just shit on them like there's no fun in that for us like even when i used to blog there's no fun in just like i want to pick this movie and just talk about how much i hate it for an hour that just doesn't <laughs> appeal to me i, I don't want to shit on people that long and 
You know what I mean? There's a lot of effort that goes into movies. If you don't like it, just say so. You don't need to fucking make a podcast about just shitting on it. So, yes, we tend to pick movies we like. And so we do tend to give high ratings to all of these movies. Um, this one for me, man, uh, I've been bouncing between 8 and 8.5. Like, cause I'm I was going like, to say 8.5. It's just so strong. Like I'm, like, I'm trying to find a weak point in its structure. And I'm like, like the wraparound is arguably, like, that's my favorite, uh, followed by the babysitter murders. But, like... I'm just like, even without the wraparound, like, all of those stories were so good. Yeah, I'm going to... All right, we're going to do it. Two 8.5s. Yeah, I mean, it's solid. And, I mean, even if you don't agree with us, it has, a, like, fucking 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like Right. And Ryan Spindell actually posted on his Instagram. He got an award, I believe, from Rotten Tomatoes because it was certified fresh. And I feel like usually Rotten Tomatoes is unnecessarily harsh. If there's any movies that Rotten Tomatoes are going to pick on, it's indie movies that are directly available to stream on Shutter. So when that type of a movie gets that high of a rating, like I said, you know you found a diamond in the rough. Like it's just like with Amazon Prime and all those other and Netflix. Well, Netflix never has anything good, but there's always so many bad movies put up. It's so many of them. My God, you go on Amazon Prime and you're like, holy crap, how many movies from 2021 horror movies that I not hear about that are up here? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, but 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 every now and again you find that one. And uh, yeah. Um, the, the artwork of this movie and obviously Clancy Brown and just like the logo, everything about this movie seemed appealing. It was one that I was like, I hope that I don't regret hitting press play or hitting, you know, pressing play on the remote. And uh, here I am. Here we are owning the Blu-ray, listening to the commentaries, about to talk to the director. I mean, yeah, this was a good one, man. Yeah, and I have to, uh, I would be interested to see if they uh, were, if we continue the story with Charlotte slash Sarah. I would. I mean, I'm always down for a sequel. Absolutely. I mean, I, I would. I would like to see things get even darker, even more fanatical, fantastical. You know what I mean? Like, bring it on. And if we could somehow work Clancy Brown back into it, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how, but look, it does. That's hurt. Ryan's job to figure out. <laughs> right. It does not hurt. He can be a ghost. Shit. Make him. Make him be. Like, he can do a Dexter reference because he was just on Dexter. Make him or make him uh, Sam's Harry. You know, <laughs> he just kind of shows up with that with that deep voice. You don't want to eat that child. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now let's get into uh, let's get into burn and learn. Oh, hmm. burn and learn. And now it's time for burn and learn, the segment of our show where we fill you in on trivia and behind the scenes facts about the movie in discussion. Uh, this week, that would be the Mortuary Collection. Clancy Brown's makeup took two and a half hours to apply and just one hour to remove. The doctor's office in the segment Unprotected was filmed in the kitchen of the house from the babysitter murder segment. The mortuary in the film is actually the Flavel House Museum in Astoria, Oregon. And the scenes in and around the mortuary were also filmed in Astoria, Oregon. And that's the same location where the Goonies was filmed. Oh, nice. Uh, the babysitter murder segment was mostly assembled from Ryan Spindell's short film of the same title. The penance hanging in the fraternity house from the segment unprotected bear the surnames of several of the members of the cast and crew. Clancy Brown kept the fake teeth that he wore in the film. Caitlin Fisher, who plays Sam was seven months pregnant while filming some of the scenes. The basement of the mortuary was actually filmed on a set in the dining room. The tentacles uh, from the first segment were repurposed from Tremors. That's fucking cool. Uh, the jizz and unprotected was hair conditioner, water, and gelatin. I told you I thought it was hair conditioner. <laughs> the frat house and unprotected was an abandoned house in L.A. They painted and dressed up. 
All right, well, now let's get into talking to the man behind the madness himself, Ryan Spindell. Our guest today is a writer and director known for his short film, The Babysitter Murders, his work on 50 States of Fright, and his feature-length film, The Mortuary Collection. Welcome, Ryan Spindell. Thank you for being on High on Horror. Thank you for getting me super high on horror. <laughs> Absolutely no problem. We appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on, and uh, we are really looking forward to talking with you, man. Thank you for making the time. It's awesome to be here, guys. This is really cool. I just started listening to this show, and I am a fan. I'm, I'm glad you introduced me to a whole new world, a whole new way to get high on horror, which is good. Wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you. We definitely appreciate that. Uh, and uh, from your resume, you, you're definitely a horror fan. Uh, what, what really drew you to the genre? Uh, man, let's see. Uh, so... I think it's the art. I think it was the art and the craft of horror that actually drew me in, in, in a strange way. I was definitely not one of those kids who uh, could watch it at a really young age. As a matter of fact, I was completely opposite. I think I saw Ghostbusters and the 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 ghost in the library uh, scared the shit out of me. And I was like, no, horror is going to ruin my life. It's going to give me nightmares. <laughs> and my mom did a really good job at reaffirming that if I was to watch a horror movie, it would destroy me from the inside out. And so I, um, I avoided horror for a really, really long time. I think until maybe eighth grade high school. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would watch like creep show, I think, cause that had cartoon elements. So that could kind of trick me, um, which probably has some bearing on why I ended up making the mortuary collection in the long run. Um, and I would read a lot of Stephen King. I, I could, I could do the books, even though the books, Stephen King books are so, freaking scary but for some reason the visual medium freaked me out and then uh i had this crazy weekend where a friend of mine brought over some bootlegs and there were two movies two like absolutely pivotal movies in this box uh that like changed my life uh, one was um, evil dead 2 and the other was uh dead alive or brain dead depending on on where you live hell yeah uh, oh, those are good they're movies. so good like what a fucking crazy double feature to introduce you into yes. horror. And I remember watching both of those movies and, and I guess like I, in my mind, I thought horror was just one thing in my mind. It was just like kids getting butchered in the woods by like a masked man. And when I saw how imaginative and creative uh, those movies were, but like even more so, I feel like I could see the filmmaker behind the, behind the lens. And I felt like I, they were having so much fun with the medium and like the gorier and the weirder, the better. And I think those two movies kind of unlocked this sort of dark corridor of my brain. And then, of course, I went back and I watched everything. I mean, like all, all subgenres, super dark, funny, uh, everything in between. But um, but even to this day, even though I love all horror, I think I tend to gravitate towards that type of horror, fantasy, hyper imaginative stuff. And uh, and it's actually kind of bums me out that, that we're kind of lacking in that department nowadays. I want to see more of that kind of stuff. Uh, so other kids who are sort of have this one idea of what horror can be, not even kids, adults. So anybody who has this sort of single-minded, small, small idea of what horror can be can see how imaginative and fun it, it is. 
And speaking of imaginative, you did 50 States of Fright and you handled Oregon. Uh, that was a very interesting twist on Sasquatch. <laughs> like, how did you come up with the idea to like put it around like a taxidermist? Like, how did that all to come together? Uh, so I didn't, when I, the project first came to me, I didn't really understand what the scale would be. I kind of thought it was going to be a very small, like, oh, make a short film based on the state. And so I was trying to think of a really contained idea. And um, I love this, just the aesthetics of a taxidermist alone in the woods. So I was like, okay, what's an interesting cabin in the woods sort of position, taxidermist, maybe he's a hermit, maybe he's a weirdo. Um, I was starting to get these Barton Fink vibes. I was like, what would be an interesting horror story um, for a taxidermist? And for some reason, it just came to my mind, like, what if somebody brought you a thing and that you couldn't identify it? And then you sort of became obsessed with trying to build it. And it wasn't until you built it that you realized it was a mythical monster. And so I kind of started there. I actually kind of started from like, what's the most limited story I could tell? Um, and then uh, and then sort of, you know, of course, it gets bigger than that, um, as, as do all of these things. But um, but it really came from this idea of trying to trying to protect myself because I thought I was going to make something really tiny. And of course, then I show up uh, in Vancouver for this uh, Sam Raimi produced Quibi show. And it's like the biggest thing I've ever worked on, like times 10. And I was like, oh, why did I come up with a bigger story? But weirdly, it actually kind of saved my ass in the long run because I had all these resources, but I had a very small story to tell. So I was able to kind of get into the so the cool transitions and the details and really kind of work on the monster and make the, the Sasquatch something unique. Cause I, I also think that Sasquatch tend to be sort of uninspiring to me. I kind of feel like it's the same thing again and again. So it's like, maybe we could do something different. And I think the thing I originally wanted to do was ridiculous and impossible to pull off. It was like, had long arms and it like ripped the, the building in half, <laughs> but then I cont contained it a little bit, but the snowy environment kind of helped make it, have sort of this like Yeti vibe that I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the, the creature design looks amazing. I, I, I like, like the whole mouth of like the jagged teeth and everything. And you're right. Everybody just kind of does like a kind of simple Bigfoot. It just looks like a giant. I, man. I remember that was like, I was like, I gave them these concept sketches and they're like, there's no way we can do this. Uh, that's a complete rebuild. And I was like, all right, Let's just make the claws as long as possible. Let's make as many teeth as you can possibly cram into its mouth. Let's fill his mouth with as much saliva as possible. And let's cover him with as much snow as possible. And then when I, when I kind of all that came together and I saw it in camera, I was like, oh, my God, this is really, really cool. I, I was really impressed. And, of course, we were working with uh, an amazing, um, amazing special effects company in Vancouver, Todd Masters, who did, like, you know, like Demon Knight and uh, – Oh man, he's done everything. I mean, look, look up Todd Masters. He is like literally the master of, uh, of special effects up in Canada. And so that was such a cool like treat that was like, again, a surprise. I didn't anticipate any of that when I signed on to the project. And like, uh, were, were you given like a lot of freedom and creed in your whole story or was there any kind of thing that was dictated down that they wanted you to keep? No, I mean, it was amazing. The, the, the really cool part about that show I think that makes it really singular is that Sam Raimi was producing and Sam Raimi's, you know, he's awesome. Obviously. I mean, he, literally he's the guy that made the movie yeah. that like brought me here. And of course, every other filmmaker yeah. had right. the same story. So I wasn't unique, but the thing that was really cool is he, you know, they put together this whole infrastructure and it was this big machine, this big TV machine, but Sam had made it very 
sort of clear that the directors were to be given full creative control. So essentially, we wrote our own scripts. We got to cast our cast away we wanted. We got to create the effects, the look, the style. All of that stuff was up to us, and it was the, the rope you could like, you know, live or die by, depending on how you used it. Um, but I think it created something that was really unique, uh, especially with horror anthologies, which tend to be kind of lacking, I think, as, as series go, you know, outside of Black Mirror and um, Inside Number Nine and Twilight Zone, obviously, they're, they tend to be a little bit lackluster. And I remember thinking, like, that there were some kinks in the first season, but I felt like if they had been able to do a season two, it would have been the coolest show on TV. Like, like by far, if they could have, if they could have used what worked and kind of like eliminate the things that didn't quite work and like expand the season two, I actually ended up writing two episodes for season two that never got made. Um, but they were much bigger. What uh, states were those? Uh, I wrote one for Nevada and I wrote one for California. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I I wish they had at some point were able to get to Delaware, but Delaware. What what would be the mythology? Do you have one? I really don't know. That that's kind of why I was interested. I don't. There's nothing that really sticks out. A lot of ghosts. A lot of ghosts. Yeah. People getting shot like forty times a day in Wilmington. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> are you guys in Delaware? Uh, well. The... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Look, I'm gonna do some research. Uh, there's a there, there's a Civil War prison. Okay. Uh. Not, not 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 too far away it was on an island so i mean that'd probably be the only thing i could really think man of. i'm i guarantee you there's something awesome i guarantee you that every state's got something that's like mind-blowing yeah delaware probably has the best mythology uh, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah but uh james uh ransone did a great job as sebastian kempler um Normally, when I think of a taxidermist, I think of like some redneck. It's like stuffing a hog <laughs> or a raccoon in the south, but he very much treats it like an art form, and it comes across as that way. And especially with some of the music choices. Uh, yeah, I mean, how lucky was that to get him in it? Um, I think that was the thing I, I started off with. I wanted to create a character that was at odds with what you would expect, like at odds with rural Oregon. That he's he sort of. He's uh, secluded himself away so he can perfect his artwork. And I think in his mind, he's a bit of a genius. He feels like he's a bit of a genius. He's kind of better than everybody. Um, and I wanted to have him sort of, you know, trying to be left alone to do his thing and just constantly being interrupted by locals who want to, like, give him whatever garbage they find on the side of the road. I just thought that was a funny sort of dichotomy. And also creates this, like, hubris for a character. Because, like, with all these things, they're kind of morality stories and they're people that are going to get their comeuppance. And I was like, I don't want to punch down to like a, just a, a rural guy who's trying to like stuff animals. Like let's find this high minded asshole and like give him what for. <laughs> it was definitely a clever twist. It was uh, it, well not a twist, but you know, it was, it was a clever take. And uh, uh, I wanted to go back a, a bit though. Um, I didn't want to interrupt uh, John's questions, but you had said that you had like basically loved reading horror and that you read a lot of Stephen mm -hmm. King. I have to ask you, what's your favorite Stephen King novel? Horror novel. Let me specify. Horror oh, yeah, novel yeah, by yeah. Stephen It's going to be horror. I mean, of course. Uh, it, I have to go, I have to go with the obvious one. That was the one, that was the first one I ever read. And uh, I never have been so scared in my life. I can say his best short story, though, I think is 1408. That short story is. Okay. This, I, I, I literally remember reading that 
not as a kid, as an adult, I remember reading that short story and feeling nauseous. I was so scared, which has never happened to me before or since. I thought the movie was was fine. Oh, wow. The movie didn't capture. The movie couldn't ever live up to the story because I, it has affected me so much. Um, but yeah, that's that short story is just if, if you've seen the movie but you haven't read the short, I highly suggest reading the short. It's 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 really magic. Oh, it is absolutely, and as that happens a lot with his like shorts, like uh, the Secret Window. Um, that movie with Johnny Depp it wasn't as good as the the short story. And uh, my favorite short story is from Night Shift. It's a uh, Gray Matter. They oh, actually yeah. did an episode of that on season one or two yes. of uh, one or two of Creep Show. You know, and that episode was good, and it followed the. I thought the episode was good, and the uh, that short was good. But yeah, I, I Gray Matter always stood out to me. But fourteen oh eight is definitely a solid choice. Gray Matter is um, great, man. Okay, I, but, I missed the um in the I, I loved the effects in the Creep Show one, but I missed the snowstorm. I missed that like down east, like snow rolling in and the locals huddled down in their sort of places and having to brave the snow. Like, I, I kind of missed that aspect, that atmosphere. It was so cool in the story. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Yeah, that that was what was missing was the atmosphere. And, you know, honestly, uh, that was probably budget for the show. Who knows? But that's I, I'm, I'm assuming that could be what it was because that show's so fast paced. But 100%. it was it was a good adaptation. Yeah, for sure. Um, but um, so. Okay, so you had said, you know, like shows and things like, you know, there's, that there's not too many good shows out nowadays or horror shows or few and far between. Let me ask you, what is your, like, what do you think, is, what's your thoughts on the current state of horror? Do you think we're in a good spot? Do you think we're like, you know, you think that horror is lacking? What, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, man, it's so funny because I feel like my opinions would can change from week to week. And I, and I don't mean that I'm I'm fickle about it. I mean that I think the, the trends seem to push and pull. Um I remember feeling like, like I loved Hereditary. Like I loved it. One of my favorite horror movies to come out oh, in yeah. a while. Um, but I do feel Agreed. like it ushered in this like, I, I don't want to pick on the company because I think A24 is amazing. And The Green Knight was probably one of my favorite movies of the year. But um, for some reason, Hereditary ushered in this idea, this this elevated horror idea. And it used to be elevated horror was just kind yes. of smarter <laughs> horror. But with Hereditary, it became like pretentious to some degree. Uh, again, not picking on Hereditary, that movie is fucking dope. But like the pretentious horror, we started getting hit with it. And so I remember being a little bit like, ah, I, I like this highbrow horror, but I don't want all of my horror to be this way. And then when the pandemic hit and I became trapped in my house, then suddenly watching movies about a, 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 lone, a lone person losing their mind over grief became like, even worse, I was like, I just want escapist. I want that escapist horror that I that I love so much, and I want it now more than ever because I want to escape this like insanity that we're in. And so I think I kind of came out of out of lockdown. Really, I mean, I'd already wanted to make escapist horror, as you could probably imagine, based on the stuff of mine that you've seen. But but the pandemic really made me want to double down on that because I, I for the first time I saw the value in that, not just for myself, but like in general for people who who don't don't necessarily want to have to deal with like the heartbreak of society uh when things are sort of darkest that's 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 a solid answer man and uh you actually just brought up elevated horror and i so i have to ask you because you're a horror fan please tell me that you have seen censor i have seen censor it's fantastic have you seen the 
Okay. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Cause like that, I'm obsessed with that movie right now. I've watched it like five times uh-huh. since I've seen it. And you just brought up elevated horror and I know you watch horror. So I was like, okay, I bet you this is the dude to ask about that movie. I've been literally like peddling that movie everywhere to everybody. Like you have to watch this movie and I've only gotten like one person back who says I didn't like it. But yeah, if we're going to bring up, bring up elevated horror that right now is like the elevated horror movie for me because it takes place like during the 80s it's about video nasties it's like i'm one of those i think i'm i'm just part of that niche crowd that like that movie was made uh-huh. for and i'm not being egotistical i, just, I get ever i get everything about that movie and yeah you were i knew i had to ask you about that movie i was gonna say if you didn't haven't seen it please check it out it's on hulu man oh yeah yeah yeah. no i've seen it i've been watching i've been i'm pretty up to date i mean i guess that was one of the bonuses of being stuck in my house all the time so i, I kind of watched everything oh yeah same here <laughs> same here um okay so um Let's uh let's get into the mortuary collection. The reason why you're here, um, you designed the mortuary collection. You said this in the commentary that you designed it to be an adult fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Now I need to ask you: Are you like a fan of Guillermo del Toro? Like, what made you want to do an adult fairy tale? And who or what were your influences in doing that and making that making that call? Well, to answer your first question, yes, of course I am. Of course I'm a del Toro fan. I I can just watch his movies on silence and just. They're, they're like studies and craft to the level that I don't think anybody else is working in. And uh, yes, I mean, he's, he's a huge influence on me. I mean, he's a more recent influence, I think. And his stuff is a little bit more sophisticated, but I think that, I think that my love for horror fantasy probably started. I mean, it probably started with Spielberg, like pre-horror it probably started with Spielberg and, and the, the, the way that he would sort of tap into horror and then kind of run away from it and tap into it, run away from it in all of his films. And uh, I always find myself right, right. like someone's like, oh, what, what's if you could, you know, if a film could exist, if you could create a film that you wished existed, I would say, oh, I wish Spielberg had had made like three horror films in his heyday when he was still like going, going big and broad and weird in this sort of poltergeist vein, because I feel like we sort of missed we missed something with him kind of bypassing it altogether. Um did I answer your question? I don't know. Maybe I might have to repeat it. I feel like I have an answer for you, but. Well, I just said, uh, you kind of did. Yeah. I just said who, uh, wh- wh- like what made you want to make it a fairy tale and oh. who or what were your influences? So your influences were del Toro and Spielberg. Uh, yeah. So, so early influences. Um, yeah. I mean, Spielberg as a kid, because I, I sort of avoided horror or, or Zemeckis, you know, all of the, the, those big guys, Joe Dante, of course, um, and, uh, Stephen King, who I think, uh, you know, finds a way to write fantasy with really grounded characters, but his, the concepts he plays with are, are pretty wild. Um, and then, you know, the labyrinth, all of the, the classic, uh, sort of fantasy movies as a kid. But I, I guess, I guess the, I really latched on to those types of films because, because I couldn't watch the real scary stuff. Uh, and I remember something wicked this way comes being like, sort of a, a transitional film for me as a kid but also i was like so scared to watch it and i was like so embarrassed that my friends were going to find out because it was a halloween party and it was a whole thing um but i think that like <laughs> i think that because kind of going back to peter jackson and uh and sam raimi and that and the, the horror fantasy aspects of those two films i think there's something that was captured in that moment when i fell in love with horror with those films that's really made me latch on to a more fantastic uh, version of horror that I've kind of never been able to shake. It's, it's really strange. I mean, I, to be honest, it, it would be better for me as, as a career if I wasn't so 
consumed by that type of horror because straight horror just does better. I mean, across the board, it's the hardest thing to do in the world is to write a horror fantasy movie and then try to get somebody to finance it. It's just almost impossible, but uh, I can't help it. I loves what I loves. No, absolutely. You know, I love, that's the thing. I love fairy tales too. And I'm a big Guillermo del Toro fan and his movies are very poetic and fairy tale-y. And that's kind of like, you know, when, when I heard you say that, I'm like, this movie is a hundred percent like a fairy tale. And I'm like, that's that I never really thought of it like that. It was very mystical, but until you said it was like an adult fairy tale, that's when it clicked in. And I'm like, Oh man, I totally see like, this is something like, you know, I just, I thought of Guillermo del Toro because I thought of like, this is some sort of mystical fantasy thing that I'd see him doing. That probably was some sort of influence on Ryan. Yeah, I think so. I think somebody asked me at a test screening, they're like, I don't understand. Is this a movie for kids or a movie for adults? And I was like, it's a movie for adults who still feel like they're kids. But I think that's how I feel. Fucking A, that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so this movie, uh, The Mortuary Collection, it was uh, executive produced by Chris Allender. Mm-hmm. And we actually had him on our show last year uh, for our Old Ways episode that he directed, the movie The Old Ways that was on Netflix. Amazing. Uh, and uh, right, it, it was really good. And uh, I, I needed to ask you, John and I wanted to ask you, like, how was he as a producer? Did he have specific things he wanted you to do in certain ways, or was he like hands off and just like trusted you to do your thing? He was pretty hands off. It was actually kind of a, a weird kismet meeting in that we were making the movie already and i knew chris uh through friends because we went to the same film school he kind of graduated a while before me but we were all part of this like florida state university mafia that exists out here in um in los angeles and i went to him because he has a production company called soapbox that i really love and that have made some really cool films like the wind and um southbound and uh a bunch of cool like little indie horror movies but mostly they do like branded content for disney and marvel and stuff they're kind of like that's where they're like bread and butter. So I came to them and I was like, Hey, do you guys want to, uh, will you help? Do you want to help produce this film? And they were like, no, we're not interested. And I was like, okay, well, do you guys want to let me, maybe we can like use your stages. And they're like, no, probably not. And I was like, well, maybe we could have a closet. We could edit in there. And he's like, maybe we could. And I, it was like, he opened the door a crack and I just like started wedging myself in. And anyway, we ended up, <laughs> I ended up essentially living here for six months editing this thing. And, through that time, we kind of grew to become really good friends and they started having input and we kind of shot some pickup stuff on their stages. And then um, they were so inspired by me and my producing partner, Justin, who are just here 24 hours a day, like literally like spending the night here, not leaving. I'm actually here now, which is why I'm saying here. I'm actually in Soapbox right now. Um, but we were here so much and they and Chris was, was like awesome. inspired. Chris was like, well, if you guys can make a movie, I can make a movie. And so he actually hired my producer justin and they made the old ways in the same place right here and oh that's amazing yeah. yeah i did not know that that is awesome so you actually became friends and then that inspired him to make his to, to direct a movie holy shit he, uh, totally and now we're trying to continue this working relationship and build out our our this mafia and kind of really create some some new horror content is the the drive it's funny, man. The horror, the horror community is like so small and tight knit. Like you know, you're bringing up, or I brought up Chris Allen, Chris Allender, and then you know, uh, and, and you've you know worked with him, and then you know we had Joshua Mick- Michael on, and he told us you know during our interview with him that you got him the role for Last Shift, and I'm like, yeah, it's it's about time. You know, Ryan Ryan's name's been floating around our show for a while, and you know, like <laughs> we already were talking to you at that point, but but he brings you up, and I'm like, damn, that's two people now that have that have like crossed paths with this dude. So it's funny how it's like. 
close that community is. It's small, but it's close. Oh yeah, Josh Michael was. Uh, I went to to college with him, and he was the lead in my first film, Kirksdale, which was awesome. So we've been really good friends. He actually storyboarded almost the entire movie of the Mortuary Collection, almost the entire first draft of it for me. Just the two of us remotely on, on oh, Zoom. No yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been super involved. I, I hope, I hope to continue to. Um, we have some other stuff cooking up right now that that we can't announce yet, but it should be fun. Oh, excellent. Well, we look forward to hearing that, definitely. Um, so something I want to bring up to you that's pretty funny was that uh, I actually really like Jake and Sandra's sex scene in Unprotected mm-hmm. in the Mortuary Collection. Mm-hmm. There's a story, Unprotected. I thought that the sex scene was very tactful and funny. And, uh, I, you know, listening to the commentary, I listen to commentaries. It's, you know, I, I pick up on things. And you said that uh, you, you, you're a prude about your nudity and horror because you, like, you watched, you know, horror with your mom. <laughs> and it's funny because I can 100% relate to that because I'm the same way. I associate watching horror with my mom and sister because I grew up watching horror movies with them. Uh-huh. So, like, sex scenes have always made me, like, awkward when watching them. Like, look, I appreciate a set of boobs here and there or a butt, you know? Like, it is what it is. But, like, <laughs> to, like, go out of my way for that or the gratuity, the, like, when it's gratuitous, it's kind of, like, it makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm even writing a novel right now. I'm writing a horror novel right now and there's, like, a threesome in it. Mm-hmm. And I literally legitimately gave, like, half a thought to, do I write this out descriptively or do I just pass it over? And I thought, nope. And I just literally made the made the note irrelevant. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I don't even need to write about this. Like, I don't, I and like, don't, do you agree though? If you, you're a prude, you understand like, why do I need to see, like, why do I need to see, where does the movie get with that? Like, I, like, I get that you go in the bedroom, you do your thing, but like, what is a five minute sequence? How does that further the plot? What does that do for the movie? Uh, yes, I do. I mean, look, it's weird because I, normal life, I wouldn't say I'm a prude at all. I, I curse like a sailor. I'm a, I'm a red blooded man. Like, like the rest of us. Like, Normal life is fine, <laughs> but there's something about gratuitous sex in that ruins horror for me, and I don't know what it is. But I've I've always been the exact same way. It's, I like it's movies like Hellraiser never quite, or even Clive Barker stuff never quite clicked for me because I'm like it's such sexualized horror, and I have friends that love it so much, and they're talking about like oh the eroticness of the horror is so compelling. And I'm like oh I wish I could understand that because to me it actually like turns me off from the horror. And I guess I just like my two things separate. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I understand that inclination that like wanting to skip it. And like, I've had many projects. Of course, if you make a movie about some guy, uh, you know, uh, stealthing a girl, there's going to have to be a sex scene in that short. So I'm like, okay, if I'm going to make a sex scene, I'm going to have the most fun I, I can with it. Cause otherwise I'm not going to do like a candle and like a finger across an ab and like all of that stuff. And uh, I always find that, that I find myself every time right. I'm writing something in that position and, and it probably comes back down to this sort of fan- horror fantasy element and not wanting to sort of get into the the visceral uh, realities of, of what it is to be human and to, to sort of live in a more heightened sort of fantastic world. I'm not sure. I'm sure I could talk to a, a therapist and probably get more to the root of the problem, but... Uh, no, I definitely think that you're onto something there. I never even thought of that. Maybe it's the realization of like it's making the horror or the movie we're watching too real. I never even thought of it like that. That's completely understandable. That makes total. I, I, you don't need a shrink. I think you just broke it down yourself right <laughs> well, there. <laughs> let me ask you this uh, then: For you, uh, do you enjoy slasher movies? Yeah, I, I do. That's what I'm saying. I grew up with them, so it's like I tolerate them. Okay. But I grew up with them with my mom, so I grew up with them with uh, Drew. Turn your head. 
or you know my mom putting her hand over my eyes. So I grew up with the comfort of those movies, but not with the nudity in mm. them. So it's kind of like when I watch Friday the Thirteenth, I think of like my mom shooting my eyes, and I still, I guess, subliminally feel like I shouldn't be looking at this set of tits, you know. But it's like it's just kind of burned in my brain, and I just, it's not, it's not even guilt. It's just like when I watch it, I just, I'm just like, yeah, I don't feel it's necessary unless you're gonna pull a knife out or an axe out during the middle of humping. Like why, why do I need to see this go down? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I just now when we're talking about it, I was thinking about you know, there's all these like essays on how slasher films, you know the the stabbing of, of young co-eds is an allegory for penetration. And the whole thing, the whole thing is about sex, not just having sex and then getting killed for it. But like the entire movie is about the taboos of sex. And then that's part of the allure. And I, right. I will say that the knife is the phallus and you're being, you're being you know stabbed with yeah, it. Yeah. And I will say that um, while I can find value in some slasher movies and while I really love Halloween, I'm not the biggest slasher fan, and I don't know if that's co- a correlation between my prudeness and and my appreciation of, of that specific it subgenre. It's interesting. That is interesting. It absolutely could be because that is like the sle- honestly that is like the sleaziest genre. If you want to see like if you want to see tits and ass and sex, you're gonna go to a, you're gonna go right to the slasher section. It's fewer and far between. If you go find you know what Poltergeist or like you said Hereditary, like finding like The Exorcist, like other movies, it's not very you don't come across it as often. It's slasher films. It tends to tended to be where like that really blew up. Yeah. I don't know, but or it used yeah, to it's be. like I'm comfortable with slashers, but or it used to, yeah, it used to exactly. Be. You now it's nudity true. is like going away in movies altogether. I, now, when you, you see nudity in a movie, it's like surprising again, which is interesting. I, I, I didn't notice that Agreed. trend happening until it just was. Yeah, and uh, okay. Well, um, I, I wanted to ask you. Um, so the, you're, you make a lot of short films. That's you know what you've done. You've made a lot of short films. So I need to ask you, like, were these shorts, like the short, short films in the Mortuary Collection? Mm-hmm. Were they specifically made for the Mortuary Collection, or was they or were they like separate shorts where you were like, you know what, I could put these in to a movie if I had a wraparound? It was a little bit of both. I so at the time I was writing shorts for fun because I had made a bunch of shorts in film school and I was kind of really getting getting a kick out of that format and kind of playing with it. And it was a nice way to like take a break from features, and so I had a few on my computer already. And I remember the day I, I was like, I, I was, I had a project, I think it was, well, I won't say the company, but I had a project that was just like driving me crazy because it was a, a horror movie set in high school. And they just kept saying, make it more teen, make it more teen. And it like, didn't make any sense. And I was getting so frustrated. And I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to just write, what's the movie that I want, that I would want to see the most. What's the trailer? If the trailer popped up, I'd be the most excited about it. Um, and, I, and the first thing I thought of was anthology movie because I'd been watching at that specific time, I'd been watching all the amicus movies and kind of really doing the back catalog. And I just loved the format. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I'll write a, an anthology movie. And the, literally the second thought that came into my brain two minutes later was like, no one is ever going to make this movie, but like, let me excise it from my system. And so the first thing I did is I took, I think I had seven shorts in already ready to go. And so I started looking at them and started rearranging them around and going like, okay, what, what play I want to have some like diversity in the types of stories. And then like, what, you know, what story would be best as like an intro to the world? What story like feels more like a later in the movie story. Um, I ended up spending so much time on that kind of thinking down the road, but initially it was just kind of piecing them all together. And then I was like, um, um, the babysitter murder short was 
I, I, I was like, I need a slasher movie. And I didn't have a slasher. Cause again, I, at the time I really didn't like slasher movies. And I was like, well, I need to make a slasher movie, but like, what's the opposite of, what's a way to twist the slasher movie? There can't be a twist on it. I mean, it's been done to death. And then I came up with a concept for the babysitter murders. And that was the one I was like, oh, that seals the deal. Okay, that's the ending story. And then this is a story. And we'll track with this girl through this, like, what's a good location? Mortuary. Has it been done before? Yes, but it's just so fucking cool. Like, let's like pay homage to, you know, uh, um, uh, why am I drawing a blank on on the um, the movie with uh, Tales from the Hood? God. Um and so, okay. and, and, nice. and the gothic yeah, yeah. nature, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I kind of start piecing it all together. And then once I sort of had the whole thing, um, I sent it out, and it actually got some real some love. And some a couple of different production companies wanted to make it, but nobody could raise money for the anthology. And I was like, well, I know how to make short films. I should just make one of these short films and try to use it as a proof of concept. And so from there, I, I did a Kickstarter and I made the Babysitter Murders. And I was kind of hesitant on making that short because it is the climax of the movie and i was like well i'm kind of giving away the climax but it was so contained and it had such a like sweet like surprise ending that i was like this has to be it like if i can make this and sell people on the idea it'll be a no-brainer and then of course i made that short and the short did really really well for me and i still could not get anybody to finance the feature and that didn't happen for like years later when finally somebody came along and just uh, an angel investor just gave us a little bit of money to like make the film which was like a miracle but um, but yes, to, to answer the longest answer you could possibly imagine, um, I sort of had the shorts ahead of time, but then they all sort of changed as I sort of tied them all together, and then I ended up even losing one of the shorts and uh, replacing the first short with the sh- with a very short short one in the medicine called the medicine cabinet in the bathroom because the movie was getting too unwieldy and I needed something short and sweet that could act more like an appetizer. Uh, to kind of get us into the world. And so that's where that sort of segment came from. My producers are basically like, look, if you make it as is, if you make this movie as is, it's going to be two and a half hours long and we don't have enough money. And they're like, can you write a story that's like one person in one room? And I was like, one person in one room? I was like, well, I guess I could try to do like my twist on the silent movie where there's no dialogue at all. That would make sense. Now I don't have to come up with any dialogue. I just have to do a completely visceral visual story. And at that point in time, there was no Lovecraft. And I am a huge Lovecraft fan. I was like, I got to get my Lovecraft in here somewhere. So I just took a girl in a one room and Lovecraft and put it together. Well, um, was the uh, was the wraparound story the hardest part of writing the film and making the film because it, like, it technically wasn't like it had ties all these shorts together? Was that the biggest challenge in, in making it? On the writing side, yes, for sure. Because initially. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. It initially had, like, the, the whole movie evolved so dramatically from the beginning to end. Like, the initial movie was written very much as, like, a super fun, cartoony, um, just, like, spook blast It was just, like, girl goes to mortuary, girl tells stories, uh, girl, I did have the big twist with her story, but then girl gets killed. And that was, like, the end. And then as I started sort of, the story started to evolve and I started doing the production, like they started to become a little bit more complicated and they said the characters started to become a little bit more fleshed out. And I was like, oh, I like this better because, you know, I love Tales from the Crypt. Huge fan of Tales from the Crypt. But the characters there are sort of one dimensional. Oh, yeah. they're, they're kind of cartoons. And while I wouldn't change that for a second, 
was like, how do we elevate ours a bit more? How do we try to craft something, characters that have a bit more substance to them? Hopefully, if we, we achieved it. Um, and as that happened, the wraparound started to evolve and become a bit more mature. Um, and then this idea of sort of using the two characters in the wraparound to kind of talk about the pros and cons of, of stories and specifically horror stories and and kind of, you know, Montgomery representing, you know, one side of my brain, which is this love for the classic aesthetic and the, the morality tales and sort of the gothic and the, the traditional. And then Sam kind of represents my my love for like breaking the rules and subverting expectations and like doing something different. And the two of them battling over which was right and which was wrong ended up being really fun for me because it was sort of like, these are questions I sort of deal with with every project I come on. Like, oh, do I want to go super meta? Or do I just want to like do the thing, the classic thing I love? Um, and so that kind of really brought it to life. And once that started happening, then this idea of an origin story um, and this idea of like, what makes the the crypt keeper tick like what does the crypt keeper do you know whenever we leave the mansion and he's alone is he sad is he lonely is he trapped and i was like oh shit that's pretty cool like maybe there's a mythology around the crypt keeper and then how do you become a crypt keeper like and then that sort of all kind of came together in a really special way and once i realized it was an origin story uh it was like it elevated the whole the whole thing just became so much more interesting and cool and I, i'm so glad that that like epiphany happened because I feel like it was the thing that really changed the whole movie for the better, at least for my, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought, you know, and, and, you know, I, I love Clancy Brown and everything, but, uh, his, uh, like, I just thought that if, I think even without him, I just, I really liked that wraparound story, especially the conclusion that would probably be my favorite in the movie. Oh, cool. Um, they're all really good, but that wraparound story just gets you, you know? Um, and of course, Clancy Brown, just him being there does, doesn't hurt at all. Like, you know, right. he'll always be the asshole stepdad from Pet Cemetery 2 to me, <laughs> I know. you know, Mr. but Krabs. he's cool. <laughs> I know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, did he ad lib it all on set? Like, or was was he just like read it off the? Was he a pro and just read, read it off the page, or did he ad lib? Um, he was mostly he, he's a by the page guy, but he did bring some really cool elements to it. Yeah, I mean, he he really got the character quickly. I remember when we once he was in the makeup, um, it just started clicking. I remember my only real note to him early on was. Um, no accent because he he was he started going British and I was like oh that does sound awesome but I was like no no let's not do British this is like an American story let's like let's keep it keep it regional um, but I remember um, yeah he just it, it's so cool when you get an actor I mean I've been a huge fan of Clancy I agree it's Pet Cemetery too I mean that's one of the most iconic characters of my childhood um, and then uh, Starship Troopers my favorite movie one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and I just am always drawn to these unsung heroes of movies, these, these character actors who are really the, the lifeblood of films, but like never get the recognition. Like they're not the, the A-list actor that's getting all of the poster art, but they're the people that bring it to life. And I just want to take all of those actors and put them, make them my leads. Like I just want to put them front and center and I want to live with them because they're the most interesting. And of course, Clancy was like, um, just so I was, I was nervous to work with him, honestly, because of his resume, he just has worked with so many incredible people. Like when you're making your first feature, the, the stress of, of, you know, working with somebody who worked with Frank Darabont on his first movie and won an Academy Award for it is like an insane prospect. I mean, he worked with the Coen brothers and Spielberg. It's intimidating. Everybody. It's intimidating, but, um, it was wild to see how, how, 
passionate he was about this little project. I mean, like I was like, there's no trailer. You're in a room upstairs getting makeup for three hours a day. Like, and he loved it. Like he, he actually, I think he thrived in that environment because he was like, I think he's been on a lot of movies where it's like a lot of money and a lot of high power people and, and the passion's gone, you know, they're just, it's, it's a day job. And, and he loved the, like the passion. And we were just this like ragtag group of, of young people making this thing. He really like leaned into that. And it's, and it's still, I had lunch with him last week and he's still like a really good friend and such a great collaborator. And, and uh, I hope to work with him again and again and again, because it's like, those are gifts when you find people like that. Oh, absolutely. And he's, uh, you know, he's just, he's just uh, awesome. I heard him on a post-mortal Mick Garris's mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, he said, he said that like, he is, uh, he like, cause he was asked about being the Shawshank Redemption and all that shit. And it's like, he was basically like, I don't care like who wrote the movie or how a list or B list it is. Like if the script's good and I like the part, I'm going to take it. Like he wasn't one of those dudes. It's like, like you were talking about like almost like prestigious where it's like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a great, you know, uh, method actor. So like, horror is beneath me. He was like, no, I love horror. Like if, if the, if the role's right and this, the writing's right, like I'm in, and I mean, you get a dude who worked, who did Shawshank Redemption. You know what I mean? And then it'll turn around and, you know, like do like Pet Cemetery 2 and shit. It's just like, it's, it's, it, he, he has a range and his deep voice. He's so iconic. Like, I don't think you could have picked anybody more perfect for this role. You know what I mean? Like, as, as from Montgomery, like, he fucking killed it. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I'm, I'm that way. Like, once I, once I find an actor, once an actor is in the role, like, I can't imagine anybody else doing it. Like, I, I latch on to my actors. They are like the world to me once we're like on set and, uh, and you just, pray i mean the scariest thing is to get on set with somebody that's a nightmare i mean that like it because making a movie is so hard already I and mean, every aspect of it from the writing to the pre-production to the post is so hard and you need allies and you really need actor allies and and this movie across the board i mean the way we sort of cast this movie is we didn't have like everyone was getting paid scale basically so we didn't have any big offers to make or any sort of big swings. And so essentially we, I cast everybody that I was friends with that I thought was an amazing actor. And then I kind of wrote parts for them or the only two people I think that we cast through a casting director, um, leads wise was, um, Jacob Elordi from a euphoria. Who's the, who plays Jake and unprotected. Um, and even he hadn't been in anything yet. He had just come off of the kissing booth and had yet to be cast in euphoria. It was just, brand new to the country from Australia. Um, and, uh, and man, I just had like such support of like everybody, like uh, Barrick Hardley, who plays the um, uh, Wendell, the guy who uh, Mercy kills his wife. Uh, he's been a, a good friend mm-hmm. of mine forever. And we would sit there and like rewrite whole scenes sometimes in the morning. Um, and they would be better than anything I could have ever written. And that kind of thing is just, that's a gift, like that kind of assist because directing is such a lonely, like solitary, everything is, is sort of leaning on you to like make it art. And you know, you do you, right. 20 days in, like that's pretty hard to do. 20 days in, no sleep, everything going wrong. Um, and so Clancy and, and Derek and, uh, and Jake and uh, Emma, I, everybody, everybody was, I, I feel really lucky after the fact, looking back on the movie and thinking to myself like, man, so like, a butt plug could have really come in there and blown this whole thing up. And I got real lucky. (laughs) Did, did, uh, did you, uh, watch Dexter, the new blood? Did you see Clancy on that? I have not seen that yet, actually, which I felt really embarrassed about when I saw him the other day, he was like, I don't care. 
<laughs> Dude, you you <laughs> no, you need to see that. He is amazing. Like, I mean, again, it's it's like it was. It's pro- possibly one of Clancy's best performances. When he was on the show, I was like, oh shit, Clancy Brown's on the show. And then when he's portrayed as the villain, he is such a good fucking scumbag. Really? It's crazy to be like, you know, you hear you hear him doing interviews, and he seems like such a kind guy. And then you see him on the show, and it's like he's portraying himself. It's almost like that's the dude that goes on Mick Garris's podcast. But then when he's behind closed doors you're just like oh this piece of shit you know what i mean yeah. like he just he kills it man you you, you have to check that out for sure and uh, okay. i mean even if you haven't watched dexter watch that season for him for his sake okay i will no i need, um, I need to do it anyway he was i was trying to mine him for information and he's just like he's so unpretentious about any of his things he's just like no it was really fun anyway uh hamburger like he's just <laughs> <laughs> there's just another role to him he's just you know adding to his filmography um so okay i was gonna ask you actually i had taken a note about like did you keep one of the charred babies or children from the uh wraparound story and then here we are you know for the people who watch this on youtube when the video uploads they're gonna see you actually have one like chilling behind you that's awesome and the gazette like is that the only props that you took from the film Oh, hell no, man. I got almost all the props. I, <laughs> I got this guy. Uh, this is the uh, the Arctic hare. Oh, oh my God. Excellent. Um, what else is it? Oh, this is cool. This is actually my favorite prop that I got. Oh, are you kidding me? You got the, the freaking sign? Click. Yeah, the, the, morgue the morgue sign? The morgue sign, yeah. I got, man, I got everything. I got the, um, probably my favorite, well, between this sign here and then the, um, the mortuary collection, the book, the big leather bound book that's like hand crafted. This is the mortuary collection is also pretty cool, but yeah, no, I kept it. I mean, I, I would have, uh, you kept, I would have kept the sign that said, welcome to Raven's end. If I could have like put it on a truck and taken it home. <laughs> I got it all. <laughs> no, you're, you're like me. If I made a movie, I always tell my wife it'd be the same way. I'd be like, I'd keep that, I'd keep that, I'd keep that. So it's cool to actually. Every time I talk to somebody and ask them that, they're always like, No, I wish I got to keep it, but I didn't. And here you are. You have like all the coolest shit. Like I literally, like I want you put that up for a contest. Put that charred <laughs> kid up for a contest so I can enter to win it. I want that thing in my collection, man. Those things, the the the, the burned children were awesome looking. Me and John were talking about how like the 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 the, the animation of those like it, they looked amazing, and that was I was like I wonder if he kept one because I fucking want. I one. do. And then here we are. I'm looking. I'm like Jesus Christ. He's got him chilling right behind I him. I do. <laughs> I have I have three of them. Um, that guy right there is a uh, he was a uh, like a marionette puppet, so he had strings so we could puppet him from above. Then we have another one that has like some mechanics. I mean, nothing was animatronic. It was all like puppets. And stuff. But we had another one that kind of had like a hydraulic, not hydraulics, but just like a cable. So you could like, he could kind of walk and move mm-hmm. his hands and move his, his mouth. And then we had a little baby that crawled, which was like legit, just like a crawling baby from Toys R Us that we just like <laughs> burnt to a crisp. But I mean, it was interesting because <laughs> that sequence in the library was my, one of my favorite things that I have ever written. Um, and it was the, one of the, it was the hardest thing to put together with the movie because we, I wrote it for this library that we had found. That's amazing. The circular library. And then we couldn't get the location the location. Another horror movie had shot in that facility and covered everything with blood. And so the, the facility is like, we're never shooting 
any horror movies here ever again. And I wrote like impassioned letters. I called. It was like this whole dramatic like thing. So anyway, we ended up like getting down to the wire and we didn't have a library. And so we were had to build like a piece of a library. And we ended up having to lean on visual effects to extend the library out, which was like the antithesis of the whole credo going into the movie, which is like all practical effects, no digital. And suddenly we were like having to build like a digital library. And of course we didn't have any money. So that whole like trying to finish the library and get those puppets was like a shot like crazy shit. Like the hand coming out of the book is my friend's four-year-old son with a glove on in my living room. Like we shot some more puppet stuff like in my friend's garage. Like the insert of the books is just like I bought some tiles from Home Depot and spray painted them and did those in my bedroom. Like we really had to like piece that thing together to make it work. But in my mind, it was like, God, what if I had had like a, a million dollars to make this sequence, it would be so freaking cool. But instead, it, you know, I think it has charm. It has like a the, the rod puppets and the like it has like a low budget indie charm. But I I'm, I'm, I'm bummed that I couldn't do the like dramatic clawing children coming up out of like hell through books and embers flying and like the what was in my head tearing sam limb from limb no, I, <laughs> I think the sequence worked out great i get what you're saying but i think the animation is part of what stood out to me about it. i liked the animation of them it seemed old school and retro it just it seemed i liked it a lot um and and they looked cool as shit so i have to ask you lastly uh yeah what are uh what's the chances of uh a sequel is this a one-off or uh you know because or is are we gonna see sam again you know when her 100 year gig is up <laughs> um so i can't I, I mean the chances listen i i wrote when i first wrote it um the plan was always that i wanted to make a movie that could launch a series like what i've always wanted to do even before I even wrote the anthology was make tales from the crypt or make a, a horror anthology series that I think is done right. Because I, again, I feel like they're often not done right. Um, and so, uh, so that was the design for this. And that's why, you know, it ends with a library and, 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 and that's why, I mean, there are stories, there are stories in the newspaper that are, are, are scripts that I've written that haven't been realized yet. So like I was laying that stuff into this feature with that in mind. Now, whether or not somebody is going to, um, I have a, uh, an idea for a show that I think is, uh, really strong, but, um, whether or not somebody will finance it is to be determined. And I think it sort of depends on, on how popular this, the movie is. The movie's done really well on shutter, but shutter is also a service that a lot of people don't have. Like I, I mean, do you guys have shutter? I'm assuming? It's, yeah. I, you, I'm surprised how often when I, because I'm, I'm, I'm in such a horror bubble, but sometimes I go, when I go to like, you know, visit family, they've never heard of Shudder. They don't even know what it is. Even people that love horror, like I've never heard of Shudder. I'm like, how have you not, how could you love horror and have not heard of Shudder? So I think it's just getting, drumming up enough, enough momentum to sort of get somebody to do it, which is, you know, it was so hard to get the first one done. So, so we'll see, but I, I'm definitely open to it for sure. And I got to ask, how much blood did you use? So much, man. Oh, my God. Especially in the, the Till Death one. There, that had to be the highest. Yeah, I think we had... We went through at least three of these those 10-gallon drums. Um, and we had three different consistencies of, of... We had 
three, wait, a, a medium, a thin, and a thick blood. And it's like, obviously, thick blood. We don't need thin blood. Get that shit out of here. Um, and then we had a whole thing of slime. We went through a lot of slime and a lot of vomit, too, surprisingly. And uh, each uh, story was a different decade. Like, Tentacle Monster was the 50s. Unprotected mm -hmm. was the 60s. Till Death was the 70s. And the Freeman story is the 80s. Uh, what, what made you decide to go with different decades for each one? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant. I'm trying to, trying to figure out a way to answer this question that's not detrimental to the movie. But the initial uh, inclination was it is not set in different decades. Um, the initial the conceit is, is that Raven's End itself exists in sort of a timeless space, kind of in this sort of timeless uh, world in which all decades sort of exist simultaneously. But what ended up happening was because each segment um, sort of is, is focused on a different subgenre, those subgenres, we kind of pair up automatically with certain decades. And so it was kind of a weird coincidence that it, it felt like it was sort of moving through time. And I think in our, at our very first screening, when they wrote about it in the, uh, in the, the brochure for the festival, they wrote, they just said, oh, it takes place in different decades. And so that sort of thing, that, that idea just kind of moved forward. And I, I kind of usually don't shut it down. I'm like, sure. But, um, but in my mind, the, all, there's, it's, it's sort of like how a campfire story never goes out of style. Like, I love that, that idea mm -hmm. that like these stories that just are passed on to generation to generation, they don't ever feel dated and they don't ever sort of lose touch. It's not like, oh, then the cell phone rang. And so I kind of like took that conceit and kind of created Raven's End around it, this place where maybe you do have a weird old cell phone in one episode, and then maybe there's a computer in another, and then maybe you're just in the woods and it could be the 1600s in another. Like, I, I kind of like that they're sort of all intermingling. And then like when people get pissed about it, I sort of like that too. No, no, it makes sense what, the, way, the way you explain it now. You just like you automatically just associate the uh, babysitter murders with being in the '80s because it's a slasher. It kind of looks like yeah, I, I. But now, but now I get what you're saying, and it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and the the, the, um, the slasher one, the that one in particular was tricky because we were going for timeless, but then we we had to make a movie, and that movie had to feel. The movies are basically dated. You know, it's kind of impossible to make a timeless movie if it's black and white. It's like of a certain era. If it's and so it's like, okay, well, I guess we're kind of backing ourselves into a corner with the timelessness because this one is going to have to live with some sort of 70s, 80s flourishes. And so we just kind of leaned into it with the music and stuff and had fun with it because that's another thing about a project like this is you're not really bound by any rules. You don't, you can sort of play and kind of going back to that sex scene, like I was like, oh, if I don't want to make a traditional sex scene, I have this sort of open playing field to do whatever I want. Why don't I make the weirdest, most ridiculous sex scene you've ever seen? Um, and, and that's really what's fun about a project like this, just being able to like play, you know? And uh, you've obviously done a lot of shorts. What, what is it about short films uh, that you're drawn to them? I feel like I've said it before. Short films don't get enough credit in this country. I feel like they're just kind of looked down, but like places like Europe, like they're very, they're very popular. Oh man, you're going to, this, this entire interview is going to extend three hours. If you start asking me about the short <laughs> format, I, uh, yes, I agree with you. Totally. I think that, um, I think that the short format is one of the most 
challenging and beautiful formats of storytelling that exist. I think that, um, you know, I think a love for it started with Stephen King. I mean, we, we talked about the very beginning. It started, Stephen King's, so many of his, I, I don't want to say his best stuff, but like his short stories are amazing and, and, and rich and full. And, um, and I feel like, you know, that sort of, brand of storytelling is celebrated in in the short in the in novels right like the the most amazing authors will write books of short stories and they they get all this attention and and, the, and applause but like that doesn't exist in in film and that doesn't exist in uh you have to go to for the longest time you have to go to film festivals to even see shorts and then even now you can go to short of the week some of these really awesome sites alter and um and watch them but i don't know how many people actually do that i mean like me i think i think it's pretty rare and so my love of, of that format and uh, was kind of one, again, one of the things that went into sort of wanting to make an anthology to kind of be able to take these types of stories that you don't get to see on a big screen and kind of package them in a way that it could sort of trick people into putting them in a theater or, or sitting down and making a night of them and sort of ease people into the idea that like horror is great. I mean, I think, I don't know if Stephen King said this or, I don't know where I picked this up or if it just came out of my own brain, but um, I think that a lot of short stories or a lot of horror stories are best in the short form. And I think you see a lot of bad horror movies that like, you know, when you see a movie that has an amazing trailer and then you go to see it and it has like a great first act and kind of a great concept. And then somewhere around the midpoint, it loses track of itself. And then they just try to start, throwing other things into the blender to try to like keep it exciting but you can feel it like coming apart and you know the ending is going to be like disappointing i i have a feeling that those are a theory i guess that those are amazing short film ideas that have been stretched into 80 minutes and to try to make something commercial to make money off of and they just don't work and i think that's because so many horror stories work best in a shorter form so until we have a, a place where we can see short form horror um these stories are just left in the ether. They're just floating around. They're either being stretched and killed or they're just not being seen. And so, you know, that's where I think an anthology series is so strong is because it allows short form horror to, to have a space in popular culture. Um, oh, and the same force, you know, in an anthology movie like this. And so, I mean, I have a lot of feelings about it, but I, I, I love it. I hate, I hate that like people don't think short form is, is legit. Like I had a friend, I was a, a screenwriter friend and he was like, um, he was like, ah, short stories are no good. And I'm like, uh, why, why short films are, are, are boring or whatever. And he was like, why? And he's like, well, like a feature film is like a marriage. It's like a love affair, you know, but like a short is like a one night stand. And I was like, yeah, but like sometimes a one night stand, not so bad. <laughs> like sometimes we need a one night stand, you know? But, but I agree with you about like, there's so many horror movies that I'll see and they're 90 minutes and i'm like that's that was still 30 minutes at least too long yeah like, yeah and we we found that like the interesting and you know tough thing for us to deal with or, or not tough but like the surprise about making this is that we realized that you know these segments range about 23 minutes so they're about half hours and um we kind of realized that the way we built them they had all of the same set pieces as a feature as a, a small indie feature but just with none of the shoe leather in between. Like, so each short was almost as challenging as making a, a, like a low budget indie feature. But like we took out all the dialogue and we took out all the staring out the windows and just like got right to the brass tacks of like the, 
the key character stuff and the set pieces. And we just kind of went boom, 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 boom. So like when we actually laid it all out in the editing room, we were like, holy shit, we're like editing like five movies at the same time here. This is such a Herculean task that we set for ourselves. But like, what an awesome way to like figure it out. Had I known that beforehand, I probably wouldn't have made this movie because I would have been like, no, I don't want to make five feature films at once for my first feature. That makes no sense. But like once I was in, I was like, well, we're already down the rabbit hole. Let's just keep on tumbling. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today. And uh, what upcoming projects do you have? Uh, what upcoming projects? Um, I have a series that I'm developing, um, unrelated, uh, for what can I talk about? I just finished a new script called Grimlock that uh, I'm really excited about. It's a feature film. Um, it has, it definitely has like a firm footing in sort of the tone and style of the Mortuary Collection, but it's a bit more Amblin, I think. Uh, and it's sort of like a, um, it's like a contained, it's a seemingly contained family and house movie until it's very much not. And it deals with uh, portals to other realms and witches and monsters and all the things that I love. And uh, of course, nobody is going to want to make it because it's <laughs> because it's everything I love. So of course, it's no no studio is going to be is going to be into it. But uh, but I'm super jazzed about it. So I think I'm going to try to do some of the traditional the traditional route for a while, and then I'm going to make it myself if I can't get it done that way, and just uh, keep making the kind of movies I love. That's awesome. And uh, where where can people follow you online? Uh, so my name is Ryan Spindell, and you can find me on on all of the all of the social medias. I think. Twitter is probably the best spot to chat, but definitely uh, reach out and say hello. I'd, I'd love to. I love to talk to people. That's kind of been the saving grace throughout this whole, you know, past couple of years. Because, you know, like so many other filmmakers, I, I made a movie and it came out, and I was just sitting in my my house, like watching the world go around me, and, and not even really getting to know how it was playing for audiences or, or see if people were liking it. And Twitter kind of saved me because I was able to like meet so many people who love the film and talk about the movie and and kind of that was the one thing that kept me going and i think there are so many other filmmakers out there who are in the same boat who just like didn't get to have a festival premiere didn't get to go to any theaters didn't get to talk to fans didn't get to meet other filmmakers and so um social media you know for all the for all the evil that it sort of produces it definitely uh saves some lives at the same time it kind of seems to be a common theme that we've had. Like every, everybody's kind of had their COVID movie yeah. experience. Just like you'll look back and just be kind of this thing in time where just everything was crazy with like movie releases. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to be like, feel sad for yourself when you got to make a movie and you know, it's like, it's very easy to be like, Oh, why didn't I get my world, my worldwide festival tour. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're alive. So that's something. <laughs> and uh thank you again for joining us and uh come on again and chat with us again if you will absolutely sometime. guys this is really fun all right thanks ryan take care thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in Thank you to Ryan Spindell for joining us today. It was pretty cool getting to talk to him about the state of horror, and uh, hopefully that script he has comes to fruition. 
Uh, Drew, you guys bonded over being prudes with your nudity and horror, but I mean, I'm always down to see a nice titty in my cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure to join us next week and see what we got in store for you. Follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at High on Horror 420. You can always email us at highonhorror420 at gmail.com. Make sure to stop by our website, highonhorror.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter and you'll get our latest episodes and guest announcements delivered directly to your inbox. And uh, I guess that'll about wrap her up. Catch you later. Bye, everybody.